Welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined, as always, by your other co-host, Connor. Hello. And uh, today, we are talking about episodes 26 through 32 of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, which I've also seen referred to as 1 through 7 of Iron-Blooded Orphans 2. So sometimes people just talk about it as a second season. Sometimes people like refer to it as if it's its own. Um, when I logged this in Annie List... Uh, it, it has me log it as a separate series. Um, but when I watch it on Crunchyroll, it is just season two of Iron-Blooded Orphans. So, Mm. um, we struggle with this. 
Like, yeah. These these divides. We had this problem with uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Where it's like second gig is not a separate. Although you might want it to be. <laughs> it's not a separate show. It's just it's season two. I, yeah. I think it is. I I don't think it's a separate show, but I do think it's a little bit more separate than, uh, like Iron Blooded Orphan. Oh, no question. Is. Yeah, but uh, if, if that is like the same show, then this is definitely yeah. the same show. Hmm. Um. Anyway, uh, do do we want to like get into synopses pretty quick? I put in. Uh, I'm sure you noticed. I have a little part where I wrote discuss just so that we would. <laughs> break up the episodes a little bit so uh we'll be doing two episodes two episodes and then the final three um which hopefully you agree are are the logical breaking points for yeah i think you know checking this up a little i think that's fine um the other thing that you wanted me to say before we get into synopses so um you don't have to say at, it you can just at, yeah let people figure it out um no I'll, I'll say it up front here um so I just for like I I just gave up on trying to find synopses for this. Maybe they're they're out there, but I didn't even bother um, because I I was like s- barely using the the like one uh, watch through you know blog that I talked about last time. Uh, when I was, I was just getting annoyed with it, um, and I was like rewriting so much. So um, the approach that I have here, which I I did for the very first time for I think like the last two episodes last time. Um, but I reworked those more, and I did not rework these at all. So my method for these synopses is I had the show going. I had my laptop. Uh, my eyes were on the show. I did not look at my laptop at all. Uh, you know, I didn't look at my fingers. I didn't look at the screen. I didn't look at what I was writing. I was just watching the show, and my my fingers were just typing. So... Um, there were a few times, um, where I would pause the show if I was like, I really need to try and figure out a way to sum this up. And then maybe I would glance at the screen a little bit while I'm typing that. And then I would, you know, resume the show. Um, but that's basically how, how I wrote these synopses. So the the um, first five sentences of the, of episode 26 synopsis, I, I, I request that you just read these without any embellishment or alteration. Just read them as written. Um, I guess you can you can do how you want because maybe it's harder for you to read my my notes like this. Um, I'll I'll do what I can. When I do the synopses, I'm just gonna read straight, and you can interrupt me if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but otherwise, I will just read straight through. So, uh, episode twenty six, titled "New Blood." I'm just gonna read straight through sentences. White flowers, gravestone at farm. Orga wants to run a legit business, but needs to take the shortest route. Uh, going to Sakazaki Oath to Tewaz directly. Uh, I think that was like to do a Sakazaki I said end. no embellishment. Come on. <laughs> Orga wonders if Biscuit uh, would have stopped him. Mika says now he won't stop. Uh, Tekadon <laughs> regains renown on an... Uh, er, I don't even know what I was writing here. Uh, Tekadon regain, regains renown as an Earth branch... I don't. I've lost Te- the plot. Tekadon gained renowned and an earth branch to help in protecting the area yes. after the power vacuum caused by Gellerhorn's fall and prominence following the exposure of corruption. <laughs> um, I was really going to go back and try and rework these. I think my later ones I got better at like writing in the moment, but uh, yeah. for this one, yeah. Uh, also, there's just like so much stuff that gets thrown at you at the very beginning. So I was just trying to quickly <laughs> jot down 
I like little flashes that you're getting of like what happened in the interim. Um, so yeah, Tekadon gained renown, has an earth branch now, uh, because of a power vacuum created by Yatlahern. Um, sort of falling in prominence. Uh, Kudalia starts the Atomos company, uh, to mine half metal. Uh, she also starts a orphanage at the, uh, Sakura farm owned by, um, you know, biscuit, cooking crackers, uh, grandma, the, I think. This is the farm of sentence to Gravestone at farm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, uh, so Tegadon's actions, as well as the fall of Gatlinhern, have resulted in increased usage of child soldiers, uh, a rise in human debris, and an increased use of old mobile suits. Uh, basically, Tegadon like proved the viability of child soldiers in like using human debris, um, which has also resulted in like a rise of classifying people as human debris, so you can use them as child soldiers. Um, we also meet a new character named Hush, who sees Mika uh, sleeping in. Um, basically the the uh like hanger hanger i was like what do you call a thing where they put the the mobile suits (laughs) anyway i'm tired if you can't tell (laughs) um we're starting off strong here yeah so hush sees mika sleeping and uh is basically like oh you know this this is the one that they call like the fiend or the demon it looks like he's just industrial waste sleeping here um, we see Shino training new recruits, uh, including they sort of all observe a mock fight between a, another, I think, new character named Dante, um, as well as Lofter's back. Um, and they are in new mass production Shiden suits, which I think are um, based off of um, the the Turbines mechs from last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and the new newbies are like marveling at, oh, this is what a mar- uh, mobile suit fight is. Uh, we learn that Tekadon isn't allowing the new recruits to get the Alea Vignana system uh, in, implanted. Um, we'll get a little bit more about this later, but, you know, basically, oh, it's a dangerous process. We don't want you to get it. Um, we see Orga getting a call from Naze, uh, where they talk. he's talking about uh, not being satisfied as basically just the military powerhouse of Tewaz. Um, the turbines have, like, more economic... Uh, stuff that they have control over whereas um you know tekadon is basically just being used as a, a like military thing they'll sort of move in when they need for them for fights um meanwhile kudalia is meeting with a man named mr gyojan from terra libera uh, liberionis um who wants to her to go and speak at a meeting that they're having uh and she's like we're refraining from i'm refraining from doing any public speaking for now um, he tries to, to pressure her and reveals that he has knowledge of these mind tours that she's, uh, going to, um, I think like go on or, uh, be involved in. She's like inviting like, yeah, the, um, economic like representatives from the blocks on earth to like tour yeah. the new, like half metal mines. Yeah. Um, and he's basically saying, oh, you benefited from my philosophy and, you know, uh, trying to put all these, these pressures, uh, specifically when he's like, you benefited from my philosophy that she says that she has no need for philosophy anymore and that he will get nowhere with words. Um, which is just a, a statement to make. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we get a cooking, lot in this first episode. 
Yes. Uh, you can see why my, my notes are so scattershot for this one. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a very like hectic episode is you're just getting caught up on a bunch of stuff. Um, we see cookie and cracker now live in a dorm and are kind of being like slightly bullied or, uh, you know, people are talking about them being related to Tekadon. Uh, and they are picked up by Atra and Mikazuki, um, as they are all riding in the car, uh, we learn that Mika has been getting better at reading. Um, and then suddenly a, a, a car on the road, like that I think was just parked, uh, that they're passing by explodes. Um, and Mika's like ready to just hop out of the car with his, you know, pulling out his pistol, uh, cookie and cracker, stop him. Um, don't want him to just immediately go out. And I think they just drive off. Um, yeah, there's, they, we, just we don't see away. any resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we just cut to later Mika is meeting with Orga um, and Orga's like, I want you to go. Uh, Barbados is being worked on currently. Um, I think when we see it, I, do, I don't, I still don't think we've gotten the name, um, but I'm pretty sure when we see it later it is now Barbados lupus. But, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Um, but it's being worked on and, um, you know, Orga's like, uh, I need you to go get, uh, you know, Barbados. Um, I swap between the two pronunciations constantly. Um, we also learn that Kudelia has hired Tekadon to protect her during the tour of the mines. Um, we then see uh, that McGillis has been promoted within Gatlahern and has essentially taken over uh, Carta Issue's position um, now that she's dead. Um, and McGillis McMill- uh, asks for permission to move outside of the normal jurisdiction for the Outer Earth Orbit Regulatory Joint Fleet um, in order to basically, uh, you know, stomp out the issues that he caused at uh, Mars. Um, and, you know, while he was there uncovering corruption, like, other issues arose. He, like, destabilized uh, the Mars branch because yes. he, like, uncovered their corruption and now he's, like, he's seen it as a pretext to to yeah. get authority to, like, uh, you know, uses force forces there. Yeah, um, this is like while he was, you know, part of the inspection bureau. Uh, but now as the uh outer Earth orbit regulatory joint fleet, he's supposed to be like focused on the the Earth branch. Um, but is basically asking for this permission of like I want to clean up the mess that I sort of caused by by you know my my inspections. Um, another new character here that's on the Gatlerhorn side. Um which I don't even know if we get his name in this, but I, I knew it. We get it as uh, a subtitle. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Iak Kujan, uh, he objects, uh, basically saying, if you move there, then you're stepping on the jurisdiction of the Aryan road fleet, which has some other name that's similar to the, the outer earth orbit, blah, blah, blah. Um, but usually just gets referred to as Aryan road fleet. And that's what I'm going to call it. Cause it's shorter. Um, we if also only meet... we had a shorter name for the Outer Earth Orbit Regulatory <laughs> Joint Fleet. Yeah, uh, hopefully McGillis will give it one or something. Yeah, McGillis can reform does, but... the whole the whole division, but he can't just rename it. Yeah. Um, we also meet uh, Julieta, who uh, is a is a kind of bizarre girl. Um, we, we get like her introduction where she basically is standing on top of a roof and then like just steps as if she's like taking a normal step forward, but into the air and then like falls and catches 15 herself. Feet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she's like standing there while, uh, you know, um, I think it's, uh, Eoch and, and Rustle, who's the, basically the head of the Aryan rope fleet 
are uh, talking and a butterfly lands on her finger and she eats it. Um, I love her. She's fucking weird. I don't fully understand her, but I, I really like Julieta. Yeah, she's got some plot. <laughs> yeah, elements. she does. Uh, there's like a light amount of... Um, in a way that I don't remember if they, they go into it anymore, but just in the way that she's like portrayed has a little bit of like a, a cyber new type uh, vibe. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Um, and uh, basically, uh, Rustle Elion, who again is the leader of the Arian Road fleet, um, and agreed to, to you know, make Gillis overstepping these bounds is like, you know, if he's going to uh, challenge me, I'm going to face that challenge head on. Uh, and so that's why I said he could do it. Um, Eok is like, I don't understand this, but you know, um, back on Mars, uh, Tegadon's escort mission, um, is underway and it's been days without any issue. Um, but then finally the night before the last day of the tour, um, they mobilize after learning that a group called, uh, that's I think a pirate group, uh, the Dawn Horizon Corps is moving in, um, I think we also get immediately in this moment that they were hired by Terra Liberionis. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, ends with Dawn Horizon attacking, uh, demanding to know where Tekadon's legendary devil is. Um, And, you know, sort of facing off against some of the other uh, Tekadon members in the sheet ends. And in the final moment, like Migazuki just, uh, you know, drops from space as he's wont to do. Yeah. Once again, <laughs> he enters from no like nowhere in the space battle to completely turn the tide. Yeah. Um, um that, that takes us to uh episode twenty seven, in the midst of jealousy. Uh so as we were saying, um Mikazuki blasts in. Uh as you know, as we've seen before, uh totally turns the tide of the battle, um, starts defeating the dawn horizon um and we see hush like kind of commenting he's shocked that mikazuki um who he uh presumed to be worthless um is actually like this uh their strongest weapon and doing all these things uh and just as uh mika is like finally forcing to uh dawn horizon to retreat um Barbados like breaks. Um, he's pushed it too hard and it, it's like broken. Um, uh, we see Gyojan um, like talking to uh, the leader of Don Horizon, who is uh, Reuters, is his name. <laughs> um, I, I can't remember his first name, but it's something Reuters. Um, that's that's all I uh, that's all I could remember because you know the news organization. Yeah. Um, so Reuters is like you know, oh we'll we'll win the next battle, um, uh, and then uh, Gyojan uh, kind of like contacts uh, Gordon Noblest Gordon. Um, Noblest declines the call, saying Gyojan's useless and can't be used like Hedalia. Um, Tekadon prepares to face Dawn Horizon again. And many of the new recruits um, are like reacting to the reality of their comrades dying. This is the first time they've seen this. Um, and uh, Dante is still like, "Oh, I want to, you know, paint stars on my sheet and to mark my kills." Um, and everyone's like, "No, that's not 
That's not how we do things here, Dante. Yeah, there's also specific resistance because it's like you're not the only one who, who got that it. kill, uh, and also you're not the only one who pilots this. Like, you know, we share these currently. So yeah, um, um, Yuki Nojo has Mika um, spend some time with Cudelia now that they're together again. Um, so they've been apart for for quite some time at this point, um, and like not communicating uh, seemingly. Uh, Mika casually remarks how his disability has made it harder for him to help out uh, beyond fighting. Um, uh, I, as a reminder, we kind of saw this, but I don't think I made note of it, but it happened at the, the end of the last time. Uh, his like right uh, arm, basically, and right eye um, like don't work unless he's connected to um, Barbados. Yep. Um, we, we get a lot on that. Yeah. Uh, we, we start getting uh, some... Some looks at that uh, seems to be at like a focus um, in this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atra comes across them and is like super excited to see Kudelia again, um, and gives Kudelia a white bracelet to match her red uh, red bracelet and Mika's black bracelet. Um, uh, again, like reinforcing uh, this dynamic that that we've been discussing. Um. You know, uniting them in this way. Uh, Mika comments that his bracelet needs to be washed, and Atra notes that it has his smell, which is the smell of blood. Um, <laughs> I, I think Toto is his name, but I just showed it. When I was doing the quick notes, I wrote, Mini Hitler is back. Mini Hitler is back to give Tekadon news from the boss uh, who wants to hire Tekadon to subjugate Dawn Horizon. Uh, um, this boss being Montag slash McGillis. Yeah. He still like insists on the name Montag when they're talking over communications, even though he's no longer wearing the mask. Yeah. I, I in this like in these episodes recovering, he fully like goes mask off and yeah. is like, okay, it's McGillis. Um but uh yeah, so basically um you know they've they've repelled the initial like Dawn Horizon attack. But uh, they know that Don Horizon's going to come after them again. Um, and Miguel swoops in being like, hey, you can't take these guys by yourself. And also, I want them gone too. So uh, I'll hire you. Let's work together. Uh, and Orga is like, yeah, you know what? That's probably the best option <laughs> we have right now. Yeah, um, despite not trusting McGillis. Yeah, like very much not not trusting McGillis. Um. Uh, he calls McMurdo for approval from Tewaz to take on all of Dawn Horizon. Um, we also see some new Yakuza motherfucker. This is the other Tewaz guy you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He's sort of in the room with McMurdo. He's got this, like, uh, I think, like, leopard print yeah. coat, like, with the, like, inside collar, mostly. Um, I, yeah. I don't think he gets Big named. Yakuza vibes on him. For sure. I don't think he's named. <clears throat> Uh, yet, but he does appear. I I think he, he is his existence is like uh, meaningful. Yeah. Um, at Tekadon's Earth Branch, some are questioning uh, the trust uh, like placed in Orga. Um, so a lot of them on on Earth. Uh, this is stepping back a moment. Uh, this is something that we see. Uh, with Tekadon now, it's grown as an organization. So there's a lot of new members who um, don't know 
the key characters uh, or don't know them very well um, and are like degrees removed from them. Um, so there's, there's a, like some uh, lacking familiarity now within the organization. Yeah. And also like tension around that where some of the people who, you know, helped set up the earth branch and obviously were a part of like Tekadon from last season, no Orga. They just like trust Orga. Whereas the new people are like, he's on Mars. Like why, why do we care about him? They don't understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Their relationships. Um, one of the people in charge of Earth, uh, Earth Branch is Takaki, who now lives with his sister, uh, Fuka, on Earth. Um, and we see him have Ndu remember Aston over for dinner. Uh, we we might recognize Aston as one of the um, uh, space debris kids from the uh, initial pirate encounter. Um, yeah. I can't remember the name of the of those pirates. Uh, um, where they got the, oh, the yeah. Gusion. But yeah, where they got, where they got Gusion. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, Aston is, has joined, um, and is like now good friends with Takaki and, uh, Fuka. Um, during dinner, there's also some tension like between Takaki and, uh, Aston vis, uh, vis-a-vis the new, like Arbrow defense force. Um, so we, we learn that, um, the earth branch of Tekadon is like the military advisor to the Arbrow block, um, led by Machinai now, um, and they're forming their own, uh, military so they can, um, you know, be self-reliant, uh, instead of, um, depending on, whereas their previous military arm was Galahorn. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they're forming their own military and there's tension between, uh, that new military force and Tekadon. Uh, re- uh, during dinner at the Mars branch, uh, Hush requests the, uh, Alaya Vignana surgery and permission to pilot a mobile suit. Uh, Atra is like, you know, shocked by this, telling him, he, uh, surgery is dangerous. Um, and Yukinoja is like, it won't work. You're too old. Um, and Hush is like, uh, angry and about to slap Atra. Um, and in this moment, Mika arrives and like grabs his arm mid swing and nearly, uh, breaks his wrist. Uh, we get some hint that Hush might hold a deeper grudge against Mika beyond pure jealousy. Uh, and then we, we learn that, uh, he, he soon has another conversation with a um, another new recruit, um, yeah. I don't know if we get his name, or I may have just missed it. Yeah, I don't recall. Um, but uh, he uh, Hush kind of gives his backstory that he grew up in the slums. Uh, he was protected by a boy named Bulith, who left to become a soldier, but came back paralyzed below the waist after the Alaya Vignana surgery failed. Uh, Hush cares for Bulith as his condition worsens. And uh, now he wants to prove that he can be better than Mika, who was able to survive the surgery three times. Um, we're getting this whole like uh, flashback. I think the important thing to point out is that there's a, a clear parallel between Belith and Hush, and then like um, Orga and Mika's relationship, um, where like Hush 
um, sees Beelith as this like extremely capable leader um, who's going to like take care of them and lead them out of their um, uh, horrible conditions. And then instead of like succeeding, Beelith is uh, like meets this terrible fate where he um, the surgery fails. He's like um, paralyzed by the the failed surgery, and then he uh, commits suicide. Yeah, and it seems like it's like deeply infected too. Like, uh, it might just like independently kill him slowly. Um, yeah, you know, we get like shots of the back where it's like, uh, you like know. extremely inflamed and yeah, yeah, not good. Um, uh, and and uh, on the flip side, um, Mika is like you know the symbol of. Um, what Beulith like did not achieve. Um, and so yeah. hush, uh, in he's like taking on the, uh, the burden of, of what Beulith, uh, was to him. So he feels like he needs to be, um, the one who is strong and, uh, survives and like charts the past, the path forward. Uh, in order to do that, he has to be better than Mika. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's layers to this. Um, and then uh, on a Gellarhorn ship, uh, Julieta swears to protect Eok uh, and says she is unable to trust a mystery man. Uh, and then we we then see said mystery man uh, who is wearing a helmet that covers his entire face and head. Um, very like uh, Zero from uh, um, Code Geass. I know you haven't seen Code Geass, but yeah, um, got some some zero vibes here um do you want to do any guesses of who this is uh it seems like there's been a number of hints that it's sky leo uh but that's my best guess right now but i also haven't thought too much about it um yeah i will just there seem to to be a number of of hints yes (laughs) um until it's revealed i think uh continue to say like masked man or like mysterious masked man or whatever of course what i did in the the notes um obviously know who this is um you're not going to put a a character in a uh you know full head mask um and also uh unlike the montauk mask uh does have a different voice without um having it be some sort of character returning. So again, people can probably guess. Um, but I, I think that there's meant to be more mystery here than with Montag where, um, it's just like immediately signaled as this is McGillis, like in the next time on before he even shows up. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that was my, uh, perception too. Yeah. But I figure when we talk about like what's happening, we probably won't talk much about, this character just because um maybe it'll briefly come up but there's not a lot around him yeah yeah Yeah. so um besides like later on we get uh you know we learn that he knows mcgillis somehow so interesting (laughs) i i assume that's the i assume that's the the clue that most tips you towards this could be guy leo but there there's a couple uh yeah that i can I can detail if you want, but uh, it probably would be better to just wait. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so we want to talk about these two episodes. Uh, I feel like in terms of like, I'm, I'm about to say a thing that's like not really true, but like in terms of like uh, plot progressing, like so much of these first two episodes are more focused around like showing you the new state of things rather than like uh, more stuff happening beyond that. But it is yeah, just like agreed. so much has happened in the, I think it's two years uh, is what I've seen as the, the time skip that happens here. Um, characters do look a little bit like character designs haven't changed substantially. Um, but like Atra is taller now. Um, yep. I recognize that. Um, obviously like, uh, the, the youngest characters I think ha- have changed the most. Like, like ride. they are. Yeah. Ride. Um, Takaki, uh, is also like, uh, you know, less childish is more of a, a larger kid. Still not like as tall as some of the other, like, you know, Akihiko or whatever, but, um, so yeah, they're like some of them, uh, like I think even, um, even Mika might be a little bit taller, not, yeah. not too much, but like maybe Orga is, is taller, I think. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I think it's more about like, um, re- kind of like updating the, the state of the world and then introducing a lot of these new characters Yeah, uh, as well. Yeah, and sort of doing that setup where then stuff will start happening with them. But for right now, it's like we kind of just need to know, um, you know, what's happened to the characters who we know and who are these new characters we're going to follow. Um, uh, I want to, uh, I guess to, to start it off, like the the one big thing I want to talk about with these two episodes is um, I remember the very first time that I got to... I mean, I, I was kind of bought into it, but th- there's a certain amount that you get to like the end of season one and you're like, it all just ends with an election. Like uh-huh. <laughs> all this like uh revolution happening and ends with an election. Uh, and then you start season two and it's like, oh yeah, that wasn't a solution. Yeah. We're, we're electing the guy who used to be in charge, like not too long ago. Yeah. And it's like played all triumphantly. To the same government like that has existed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's played all triumphantly and it's like, it does seem like there's been like a blow to Gatlerhorn that might be, um, you know, in some ways a positive, but also like a thing that gets really heavily emphasized both in these episodes, but also what continue to get emphasized, um, in, you know, all seven episodes we watched is like Tekadon succeeding, uh, so far has just meant more people in like, classifying orphans as human debris and using them as child soldiers. Um, and like the, the, you know, good outcomes here, like Kudelia has kind of, uh, to some degree, at least fallen into that trap of just like being a politician where, um, you know, she's opened a charity orphanage, uh, and has made a new company to mine Mars. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which obviously Mars will get more, uh, you know, like, well, that will, have more economic benefits because of the improved economic conditions, but it's still just extracting resources from Mars to send it to earth. Yeah. Like we don't know exactly the, like what the funds of the company are. We're not given that, but like with what we are given, it it certainly just seems like um, exactly what you said where it's like, Oh yeah, we're going to like have, Kudelia in charge of this company that's going to like if anything is going to like accelerate 
the resource extraction of Mars. Cause we also see there's like new mines being opened up. Yeah. Um, and it's like, Oh yeah. Well now we just have a company. It's not like the Martian people are like, you know, in charge of brokering their own resources to the earth, like, uh, blocks or whatever. It's like Kudelia's company. (laughs) Um, and also like, we see like, oh, okay, like uh, Tachodon members are now able to like, um, I forget if we get it in these first two episodes or if that gets explained in like the next couple. But like Takaki is now able to send um, his sister to the school that he wanted to that, you know, he was talking to Biscuit about. Um, yeah. And Cookie and Cracker are yeah. in school too. Yeah. Um, and so like... Yeah, they've, like, achieved some of their goals, but also there is a, a way that, like, that is a part of them forming the company Tekadon, and not necess- it's not necessarily framed as, like, uh, economic conditions broadly on Mars mean that more children are going to school. It's, like, these... The, I think there's a, it's intentionally framed around, like, because of the jobs that, um, you know, the Tekadon members have, and because of the money that they're getting, they are able to help out their families. Um so, uh, yeah. but then we also get the, um, I mean, I think even in the first episode where they're training new recruits, um, there's like a, a brief reference to like, uh, you know, be careful. Don't be like too much like the first core, um, which is referring to the, the CGS, I think is the name of the group. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the one that Tekadon yep. took over. Um, there's like this threat that like Tekadon can become like that. Um, you know, the earth branch, we, we will see this develop more in the next few episodes but like um so much of Takadon in the first season is like propelled by the leadership of Orga um and we see that like when Orga is all depressed or around Biscuit's death that there is like a, a vacuum that happens uh where people seem like aimless and listless within Takadon um and now it's grown to this uh size where Earth Branch is is disconnected um, you know, it, it is like, uh, look, there's more people like in it as well. Yes. There's a new generation yeah. of members who like, aren't, were not like part of the initial relationships that like made Tekadon what it was. Yeah. And so now like that has changed the organization. Yes. And and also um, like the organization has changed from the top down too because like Orga is now like running a huge company. He's like the CEO yeah. of, of of this company. It's like uh, jarring the first time that you see him and he's wearing like a a, a button up with a tie. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, and like sitting and just at like a table looking with... over. Yeah, sitting at like a desk or whatever, and like looking over budgets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. But. Yeah, with all of this happening, it is kind of like a, uh, it's not exactly the, like, classic UC Gundam, like, reversal, um, where it's like, oh, the good guys are bad guys now. Um, but it, it is kind of a classic reversal in that, like, um, the, the, like, predicaments of the protagonist have, have changed, um, or at least... It, the first like presentation that we get of this world, um, like oh now they're like um, established and legitimate, 
Uh, and they're just like running these companies. Kudelia uh, is running a company. Org is running a company. Uh, and they're doing like this mining stuff. Um, they're like yeah. mining Mars. Um, they're part of like the ruling regime in this way because they're established like legitimate. Um, they're dealing with Tewa's Gallowhorn. Uh, these very uh, Arbrow, um, which is like, you know, one of the uh, economic blocks that is like responsible for the whole colonial uh, enterprise. Uh, they're now just like working with Arbrow. It's not like an oppositional relationship at all. Uh, whereas I think um, so much of what Tekadon was in the first uh, season is like uh, oppositional to, to all of these structures um, because they're trying to like gain power um, to break through these like uh, they're trying to gain power in like uh, an agency in a regime that is like centered around depriving them of that. Um, yeah. But now it's like, okay, yeah, you succeeded. Like you get to just like have your own company now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and like, you, you like get to be the uh, exception, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a, a common thing with a, a lot of minority groups of like, there are people who will uh, fight for, you know, inclusion and, uh, a place at the table um, and to try and like undo the systems that are, uh, you know, oppressing them and others like them. Um, and then some of those people will get power and then they pull the ladder up behind them <laughs> and they yeah. just uh, stay seated there um, rather than like actually threatening the system. They just kind of become assimilated into it as the, the almost like the examples of, well, look, we're not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and, and the reversal, um, I, I should probably be, uh, like more, more specific. Um, it's like, uh, they're uh, like on a, on a different side now, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And that's the predicament. It's the second gig problem. Um, which there's probably like a, a better theoretical term for this, but within the podcast, within ghost divers, I call this the second gig problem because this is where we first like articulate it. Yeah. Um, but it's like season one, the threat is that the system wants to crush you. Uh, and then like you survive that. Uh, and then season two, like the threat is being co-opted into the system and like yeah. how, how to maintain what or do whatever you were doing in season one to like resist uh, or like, um, uh, reform or whatever these like oppressive systems um well now you have to like figure out a way to do that when you're actually part of uh being pulled in like closer um so i think that's like what what is happening with the time skip um yeah definitely um i don't know if you have other big stuff with the with this these two episodes um, I mean, again, like a lot happens, but also so much of it is place setting, I guess. Yeah. I will say there's something really like, there's something that feels sadly familiar, um, to like American politics with the whole Admos thing of like, yeah. oh, we have this like young, 
leader who's like espousing revolutionary politics who then like um opens a mining company <laughs> yeah exactly like she she gets like established right at first the like political establishment resists her but then she has enough support to like gain office and then when she's in office she's making like political alliances to like achieve certain things with like established politicians and then like before you know it she's like opening a mining company using the like name of her deceased friend who died in like a revolution an actual revolutionary moment yeah as like the name of the company and i was just like uh this is this hits close to home here yeah it just it feels very uh like this is something that would happen in american politics yeah um Another thing I, I want to, like, quickly call out here, because I think we'll see more. I talked a little bit about, like, uh, Yakuza genre tropes with last season, especially with the um, the Sakazaki uh, oath ceremony, which is just straight from, you know, the, the drinking, the, the, like, sake from the cups and uh, all of that. That's just straight from, like, Yakuza and Yakuza fiction. Um, but... There's also like a, I think a more intentional figuring of some of that stuff, including just the Yakuza motherfucker who we see, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. like the fact that they are, that, uh, they're becoming more involved with Tewaz. We see this like, uh, increase of part of what Takadon is now is a, a Yakuza company. Um, you know, a Yakuza family that, that runs a like, you know, legitimate business. Um, but then is also doing additional things on the side. Um, and yeah, I, I think that even though we don't see too much of it, I think in these episodes, I want to like foreground that here that, um, I think that's even more in the waters now with some of the, the characters that we're seeing. Uh, cause I think we're going to, we're going to see some other stuff that's pulling from Yakuza tropes as this season goes on. So good. I love Yakuza tropes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we have a whole podcast dedicated to Yakuza trips. Um, anyway, uh, the other thing, the like big thing for me here is uh, the discussion of the Alaya uh, Vignana system that we get. Yeah, in this is twenty six. This is the first time that we like we we heard about how it was dangerous all last uh, season. But this is the first time that we like actually on screen see like what is the danger of this look like? What is a failed, uh, surgery look like? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that along with, um, the scene where the recruits are like, Oh, you know, the, the live Vignana system is amazing. Like, uh, why don't, why won't boss let us get the surgery? Um, and then Shino and Eugene are like, what do you talk like? How could you say that? Yeah. Uh, and I think this scene is really important because uh, it sets up. I'm calling it out here because we don't really get as much uh, around this in the other episodes. Yeah. Um, but this is another like, uh, I think, source of tension here where we have. Um, first of all, like. Uh, on banning, trying to ban the surgery. Um, so we know that Orga like won't allow it to be done for Tekadon members. Yeah. Uh, 
But we also get this comment from Eugene that seems to suggest that they're like against it categorically and like want to build a world where like no one gets this surgery. Yeah. Which um, we know parallels with like uh Gallaghan being a uh organization that was successful because they had it and then built a world where it was like forbidden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've heard and this McGill before. And like in- intentionally wanting to use Tekadon to basically uh you know not his words here to make the Alaya Vignana system look cool so that people will want to get it. This is yeah. one of the things that McGillis wanted from Decadon. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, to prove its viability. So we get like uh, a lot of forces like moving it in a complicated way here. Um, but it is interesting. First of all, that Tekadon is like reenacting uh, Gellerhorn's like suppression of the technology. Uh <laughs> Boy, I sure hope uh, Tachadon doesn't reenact anything else from Gatlin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that definitely uh, that would be a surprise because we we're definitely not getting indications here, uh, parallels here that are, are warning of that possibility. Um, but uh, you know, of course, it's like for different. Well, uh, maybe maybe not. Uh, potentially different reasons in that they're like compassionate, ethical. Um, the Tekadon members like suffered from this and they don't want, they don't think it's right for people to suffer. Um, but it is interesting that, um, their objection is ethical and Gallerhorn's objection was also ethical. Um, but just framed in a different way of like, oh, this is like violating, it's disgusting and violating the sanctity of human bodies, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. So it, there are differences here, but like uh, there's also a lot of similarities happening. Um, uh, but then the other side of this is like the recruits desire for it, um, yeah. which is kind of like this um, uh, ironic inversion of Tekadon's like goals. Um, and it's like so unthinkable that uh, to Shino and Eugene that, that the uh, recruits are saying this um, because their whole worldview is predicated on like, Oh, this surgery was forced on us. Um, so we're going to like use it to liberate ourselves from the force that, you know, subjected us to this stuff. Um but then because they like did that, uh, all the next generation sees is like the power. Cause they haven't, um, they haven't like been subjected to it. <laughs> so they don't yeah. understand like that, uh, ideological component of Tekadon's like opposition to it. Um, so now it just ends up being that they desire it again. Um, yeah. which is like this horribly, you know, we get this like, uh, tragic irony already, um, to like uh to Tekadon, where uh, uh, which you called out at the beginning, and and the show calls out as well. Um, but like their the their opposition to this uh these kind of coercive uh forces they've been subjected to, um, if anything, just like added fuel to the fire. Now people just want that more. Yeah. Um, I think it's also 
done really well because uh, people's positions make sense as well. Yeah. Um, like they're doing this thing where it is repeating these patterns from like what we know about Gatlahern and, and the technology. Um, but also it, it is happening from totally like uh, logically consistent positions that people have where like, well, yes, the people who like had this, who faced discrimination because of this, uh, even as it like made them better fighters, it was also a very dangerous thing. It was a very painful thing. They don't want other people to go through that. Um, and then, other people just saying, but it makes you cool fighters, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, this gives you power. Like, yeah. you never would have been able to, like, get to the position you're at or do the things that you can do now without this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we have a, a, a tremendous uh, source of tension here um, uh, in, in the world, and then, like, that's also internal to Tekadon. Uh, yeah. their like ideology. Um, well, on the topic of ways that Takadon is maybe paralleling Gatlahern, do we want to talk about the next two episodes? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, so episode 28 battle before dawn. Uh, so cooking and cracker are showing Kudalia, um, that Mikazuki has been experimenting with what other crops can grow on Mars. He has this like, uh, plot of land where he's kind of, you know, it's too small to like, what you would normally consider as like a farm. Uh, it's very similar to like the, the gardening quote unquote that my, uh, in-laws do where they like, you know, are growing like you know, massive tomato plants and peas and all sorts of things. It's like their entire yard basically is garden where they're growing produce. Um, so he kind of has the space like that. Um, very like community garden, but entirely run by him. Um, so Mikazuki's still pursuing his interest in agriculture. Um, then, uh, meanwhile in space, uh, we see, um, Tekadon flying. Uh, I think, so at first I thought this is the Isaribi, but I think later on they refer to this as, uh, they have a new ship, um, as well. I think the Isaribi is still around, but the one that they're flying in is, um, Isarugi. Uh, no, that's the guy who they, they meet. Oh, um, okay. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, it ends in like B, but it's, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, I just want to call this out like right now. Uh, Hoda Ruby. That's the name. That's right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I believe this is actually the Hoda Ruby. Um, but so they're, they're flying, um, and they comment, it's odd that they're just like flying openly in Yatlerhorn space. Um, because now they have like some connections with McGillis where they're able to do this. Um, and they're also meeting up with, uh, Isarugi Kamis, uh, Kamis, I think is, is how you say his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, this is the first time that we see him. But um, in the previous two episodes, I think uh, McGillis occasionally referred to, you know, having a guy who he can trust to send or whatever. Or I don't even think he uses the word trust. One person, like, suggests it's his friend. He's like, I don't have friends. He's like, I- I've got a guy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's, I got a guy. His name is Isurugi. Uh, we, now we see him. Um, so they meet up and uh, Isurugi informs Orga that uh, they have a location for the Dawn Horizon Core, um, you know, believe fairly uh, strongly that this is where the the leader is, um, and it's three ships. 
Um, and so they're planning their next move. Um, and they come to this agreement that it would be better to, to act now. Uh, you know, Isurugi like suggests this and uh, Tekadon accepts it because they agree it's probably the best chance. Uh, we act now rather than wait for the additional Gatlahern uh, backup ships. Um, even though this does mean that Tekadon is taking on a greater risk. Um, Cause they have, they're you know, most of the fighting force will be on them and they're outnumbered. Um, Meribit's been around by the way. And Orga reveals to her that um, he agreed to this, even though he doesn't trust Isurugi uh, because he thinks it'll allow him to take more control over the situation. Uh, because now it's just the one Gatlahern ship he has to deal with rather than like a fleet. Um, we then get some of Orga and Mikazuki talking about the plan. Um, and this is just an interesting detail that I noted. Uh, so they're sort of discussing what they're going to do. And uh, in like a room, and Atra is waiting outside because she doesn't want to walk in on them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tekadon uh, then moves in to attack Dawn Horizon. And they discover that it is actually 10 ships. They've been doing uh, a very uh, Tekadon-like trick here where they are dragging a number of their ships, like towing a number of their ships behind them so that only three of the Ahab cores are on. Um, and so it looks like three ships and not 10. Um, but all the, you know, all 10 blip on as they power on all the ships and start flying, uh, you know, once they have sort of visual sight. Um, and uh, despite this, Orga still just like over the, the you know, uh, screen communication uh, taunts the Dawn Horizon leader again. Uh, Reuters, Sandoval. Reuters, Reuters. Yeah. Sandoval. Reuters. Sandoval. That's his first Reuters. name. Sandoval. Yeah, Sandoval. Just remembered it. Um, for some reason, I feel weird saying Reuters, but uh, Sandoval. Yeah, <laughs> I'll call him Sandoval. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I eventually saw his name and, and jotted it down, so it starts showing up in the notes. Um, but. Uh, yeah, uh, after taunting uh, Sandoval, um, Orga then sends Mikazuki out, basically with the task of, like, drawing the mobile suit's attention. Um, Meribit is, like, you know, basically while while Mika, like, draws some attention, we should just retreat. Um, and Orga's like, even if we retreat, there are going to be lives lost. And so if there are going to be lives lost, I have to keep moving forward and, like, gain something from it. Um so Orga still being Orga here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Maribit still objecting. <laughs> um, but seemingly still going along with it. Uh, still with Tekadon. Um, it does seem like the tensions from uh, last season have, have at least cooled a little bit. Um, yeah. Maribit still yeah. like feels the same way about this stuff, but is more just like, I know that he's not going to listen yeah. to me. And I'd like accept that. Yeah, she's less in a constant state of, like, shock and horror. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, as Mikasuki confronts the enemy mobile suits, uh, he's supported by other Tekadon mobile suits, as well as a group of Graces from Gatlahern. Uh, the Dawn Horizon fleet approaches, and Tekadon deploys uh, their little nano-mirror shaft. We get the, the purple they're, they're girly shaft. Shapes. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're very feminine. Uh, I, I, f- I just feel like I'm watching a magical girl show. Uh, wow, <laughs> smoke the worst. Yeah. Oh, magical girls. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if this is your first season, we love magical girls here. We're just making fun of the person from last time. Anyway. Yeah. 
Um, so check out our rare, to... uh, our rare th- episodes because yeah. we really had a good time. Um, but and basically they use the the smoke screen so they can like shoot past the the uh you know pirate fleet formation and then circle around to sort of break up the like initial um you know arrangement uh then i put in here uh in the words of m from great gundam project the battle rages um that's we perfect. see that yeah we see that Tekadon seems uh generally unwilling to kill pilots who surrender uh there's a moment where they're um i think it's like akihiko who's about to kill someone a- akihiro or yeah yeah is it akihiro i think so Okay. Uh, it's like about to kill someone and the guy's like, I surrender. And then it's like, ah, oh. you know, I wanted to get the kill. Yeah. Um, uh, but despite this, uh, one of those horror sentences that you have to write when you're doing synopsis for the show, Tekadon still kills many human debris child soldiers. Um, which uh, we get a, a cutaway to Sandoval being like, uh, these child soldiers, these human debris child soldiers, they really don't surrender. Great. Yeah. You know, they, they're unable to surrender because we own them. Um, they don't surrender. They just keep fighting for us. Uh, it's fantastic. I just sit here in my chair. Uh, this is great. For this, now. We should have been doing wars like this the entire time. <laughs> um, yeah, but we do get that, like, that commentary is, like, cross-cut with Mika just, like, um, there's nothing in Mika's demeanor that, like, suggests this, but I think the way it's presented is, like, Mika is just like summarily killing a bunch of these child soldiers. Yeah. Um, and, and it feels just like matter of fact, like yeah. summarily killing. Yeah. There's a, there's definitely a like uh coldness in the way that he behaves. Yeah. Um, we do have a moment where um, he makes a pit stop, um, you know, to, for some repairs and refueling or whatever. Uh, and this little like, uh, you know, tube, like, Sort of like uh, if you're going on like a plane, you know, the little like fabric-y tube that they extend <laughs> yeah. out to the plane uh, goes to the cockpit um, and Atra, uh, you know, quickly runs down or like floats down because it's sort of coming from above um, and delivers some food to, to Mikazuki. Uh, and we get a moment of her sort of observing um, his right hand and eye just working fine um, now that he's connected. So, um uh, then, uh, as Orga prepares to make the final push, uh, the five Yatlahern ships arrive. Uh, however, in this moment it is revealed that this is not the rest of Isurugi's fleet, but rather ships from the Ariane Road fleet headed by Commander Eok. Um, and the mysterious masked man, um, you know, says, ah, we've come upon Tekadon. Knows who Tekadon is. Mm. Hmm. I know Tekadon. Uh, and also, also that like, McGillis guy. Yeah, it's like, Don't oh, like I've got guy. some sort of grudge about that McGillis guy. <laughs> <laughs> Seems I, like I, he's I, trying yeah. to get back at him for something. Not, for some reason, I want revenge. Who can tell why? <laughs> <laughs> um, then uh, Dawn Horizon leader Sandoval uh, launches, um, as does Julieta Juris of the uh, Aryan Road fleet in her Reagan loss. Uh, again, I love her. Um and Mikazuki just immediately engages Sandoval, um, but as he's like flying in, as uh, blocked by Julieta, and this is where we leave off. Um, I, I will say before we go to episode twenty nine, I think it was at some point in this episode. Um, Sarah was watching these with me while I was doing my yeah. podcast prep, and uh, 
she normally doesn't like watch very closely. She kind of like tunes it out. But there was one point I like I paused it to take a note, yeah. and it was like um, the so it was like talking about the Aryan Road fleet, and Sarah was like Aryan Road, and then the like the uh, scene was like where I paused it was like a close up of McGillis. Yeah. And she's like Aryan Road. And I was like, yeah, this guy is in the organization that names stuff Aryan Road. And it's just like <laughs> McGillis being like extremely blonde, like white yeah. and blue eyed. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's you've identified the you're you're seeing it right. Yeah. Um but anyway, um Episode twenty nine, the trigger of success. Uh Picking up from the last episode, uh, Mika and Julieta vie for the position to take Sandoval. Um, there's a little like comical element to this because um, Sandoval mm. is like, uh, you know, uh, take me seriously. And they're like fighting about, you know, obviously we're going to beat this guy. Just which one of us is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, Mika eventually gets the opportunity to take Sandoval alive when Isurugi engages with Julieta to detain her. Uh, so uh, they're thereby accomplishing Orga's goal of uh, Tekadon being the one, uh, the organization to capture Sandoval and get that prestige. Yeah. Uh, Sandoval is handed over to Isarugi, and uh, Dawn Horizon is disbanded by Kellerhorn. At Teiwa's headquarters, the new Yakuza man with his fur coat argues uh, that Tekadon only won with Kellerhorn's support. Um, so stepping back, um, we pan to Teiwa's headquarters where uh, we have Barristan, Naze, and uh, Fur Coat Man. Um, and the uh, uh, Barristan is re- basically telling Naze that um, he's decided to reward Tekadon uh, for this operation by giving them the rights to uh, operate and defend this new half metal mine that's being built on Mars. Uh, and this is going to be the most lucrative. Uh, mine um so it's this like huge reward uh and the the fur coat man is really pissed off about this um he sees uh taken on as these like upstarts um that don't uh warrant or like deserve that this level of um uh credit uh afterwards uh Naze and amida privately worry that uh, Tekadon will continue making enemies as they rise. Uh, back on board the Hota Ruby, uh, Hush asks Mika to tell Orga to let him pilot a mobile suit, uh, and Mika agrees when Hush says that he wants to pilot in order to become even stronger than Mika. Uh, Kudelia, I love me- an anime rivalry. <laughs> yeah, it's really um, doesn't happen often enough. Yeah, Mika. Mika is a. Uh, uh, I was doing the voice of Mika here. Mika being like, uh, oh, yeah, I'm aware that I'm in a shonen anime. Let's do a rival thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this is about, this is a good point in my arc to have a, to have a rival. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, meanwhile, Cudelia is like hiding out, uh, at the farm, uh, waiting for the dust to settle on the whole, um, Dawn Horizon thing. And she's like caring for Mika's plants. Uh, and Atra comes to meet her. Uh, meanwhile, Aliyam Gyojan contacts Noblis once again and is once again brushed off. Noblis Horden, I wrote. <laughs> Noblis Horden. 
Um, we all know. We we all know Noblesse. Yeah. Uh, hard to forget that guy. Uh, at that moment, Orga barges into the office to confront Gyojan about the attack on the mine, uh, and demands that he pay double the damages Tekadon uh, received as compensation. Uh, Gyojan is like, you know, he's squirming to the end. He runs to the phone um, and tries to sell Tekadon out to Gallerhorn, uh, only to find out that Tekadon and Gallerhorn are now allies. Um, so uh, he's really screwed. Uh, Orga is like in the background telling Gyojan, like, hey, if you can't pay, um, we're just going to kill you. Um, and then that's exactly what happens. Uh, yeah, it's specifically framed around, uh, you know, so that you can go and apologize to the, the you know, Tekadon members who like died in this. Because of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back at Tekadon headquarters, Kudelia can't sleep and Atra comes to talk to her. Uh, they talk about Mika and his interest in agriculture. Uh, so Mika is uh, pursuing. Um, I, I think this is worth going into more detail about. Uh, yeah. For any of our listeners who are like really into uh, agriculture stuff, uh, Mika is trying to move away from uh, monocultures. So he the, doesn't want them to grow only corn uh, on Mars anymore. Um, he's trying to diversify the uh, the crops and uh, implement a different type of agricultural system. Uh, so this actually, like, uh, this Mika's, like, agricultural interest is actually um, carrying some, like, substantial weight here in, in the narrative. Yeah. Like, there's stuff happening with this. Um, also noted here is, uh, while he has gotten better at reading, uh, obviously... Um, you know, was illiterate at the beginning of this, the series. Um, it's sort of noted that like a lot of other, uh, even like younger kids and stuff have sort of moved past his past him in terms of reading. Um, because he kind of got to like the point where he could read about the things that he was interested in, like agriculture, and then has been more interested in like doing that work rather than learning how to read more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's sort of noted that like Mikazuki is a person who uh, doesn't really do things unless he's interested in them. Uh, so yeah, maybe well, we'll discuss Mikazuki more. Um, but moving on, um, Kudelia uh, in her meeting with Atra is uh, thinking about how things went with Gyojan. Um, she's considering that. Uh, Gyojan's actions, like even though he he chose them, um, she kind of painted him into a corner, uh, and she's wondering if uh, if she could have handled that differently and and uh, brought it to a like a nonviolent resolution. Um, interesting moment of of introspection uh, from her here, uh, yeah. in like a group of episodes where we're not getting quite as much of that. Uh, yeah. So this kind of stands out as an as an interesting moment. She also uh, specifically expresses like wanting to make a world where groups like Takadon and soldiers like Mikazuki don't exist anymore. Yeah, um, because like conflicts can be resolved peacefully or yeah. like diplomatically or whatever. Yeah. Um, Atra tells Kudelia that when the when that job is over, they will both work with Mika on the farm. Uh, yeah. So maybe we're going to get our uh, 08th MST ending after all. <laughs> um, we'll see. 
Yeah. Um, but also, what, like, I, it's specifically being the job of, like, creating the world where Mikazuki doesn't have to fight. Um, and then and, you go to the farm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and I think it's also interesting that, like, specifically what Kudelia says, although it's, like, clearly not meaning it this way, says, like, basically that Mikazuki doesn't need to exist. And Atra's like, but, like, Mika the person will. And and Mika the person is interested in like farming and stuff. And when that happens, then we can just be on a farm together. Um, you know, it's it's not that like he doesn't exist anymore. It's that he doesn't have to be the soldier like this anymore. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, that's also Good I think point. part of what what Atra's doing is like framing a specific like what happens after that. Um, it's not just that you like eradicate soldiers uh, like as a people, <laughs> right? Um, um. Yeah, there's like a a more concrete vision that Atra is kind of um, trying to append to Kudelia's like kind of more open ended um, ambition. Yeah. Um, uh, the next day, Kudelia learns that Gyojan is is dead, uh, and regrets that she once again bloody Tekadon's hands uh, rather than fulfilling her promise to make them happy. Uh. The members of Tekadon look over their brand new mine and reflect on the work ahead. Uh, and have to hire more people. Uh, we're going to need a lot, a lot of to, work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're going to need to hire people to, to mine and we're going to need to hire people to oversee the mine. We're going to uh, need to hire is, people to do defense of the mine uh, beyond just overseeing the people working on the mine. Right. Yeah. Um, so some some interesting uh, stuff here. Uh, um, we also learn that Orga has been invited to the Gallahorn base on Mars, um, and uh, importantly, uh, we see that uh, there is uh, two Gundam frames. We see one, and then we we hear through yeah. dialogue. There's another. Um, There's another thing that that's buried, but the the scientist says that he thinks it's too big to be a gun and frame. It's like mm-hmm. larger than the other, so I'm sure that'll be fine, right? This will all be yeah. fine. Yeah, this will be fine. We don't. We yeah. there's no way of possibly knowing uh, what something that's bigger than a Gundam but similar yeah. to a Gundam could. Be. I'm sure that like a Gundam in close proximity to some like much larger thing, uh, it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh but the fact that, that that like it's excavated from the mine, uh the connection between these two things uh yeah. is uh definitely stands out here. Um meanwhile, Orga, Mika, and Maribit meet with Megillus at the Gellahorn base. Uh Megillus is fully masked off now. They're kind of like you know, um guffawing about uh Gaffing over, over some wine about how yeah you know remember when you wore that silly mask we yeah all, like even after we knew it was you <laughs> yeah yeah you you said you were Montag but we all knew you, you know you were really McGillis that was hilarious that all worked out yeah um, uh anyway um, Orga's like yeah McGillis what are you really after and McGillis is like for the tenth time I want to reform the corrupt Yellowhorn. Uh, <laughs> and in order to do that, I need to be in charge of Gellerhorn. Uh, so I need to become more powerful than Rustal Ilian, uh, who is in charge of the Aryan Road fleet. Uh, and, you know, will, Orga, will you help me 
uh, do this. And Orga is like, yeah, I think I think I will. Um, yeah. Um, that's the end of the synopsis. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like had an anticlimactic ending. Uh, there's yeah. a little more to to that, uh, except Orga's acceptance. Um, but uh, it, it's again rooted in like, well, this is the shortest way to uh yeah to like gain power and to move uh to get to where we need to be yeah and um, they keep moving yeah and uh, to keep moving so even though it's like i don't trust mcgillis and it's risky uh um, yeah this is the the best path um it's come up a number number of times since i'm kind of pointing out but like both like uh and th- this is stuff that kind of happened towards the end of, like, was talk- being talked about at the end of uh, season one. But, like, the there are recurring, uh, you know, words here around, one, like, uh, motion, keep moving, like, uh, keep going forward, all of that coming from Orga. Uh, and there's also lots of talk around trust. Um, yes. You know, does Orga trust McGillis? Uh, does McGillis trust uh, Isarugi? Um, you does know, he trust? Does Rustal trust uh, McGillis? Yeah, does Rustal like, uh, trust the masked man? Um, we see that Julieta seems to deeply trust Rustal. Ga- um, and Galon trust uh, or Galon trust Rustal. We haven't gotten to Galon yet. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, like, and we're also. I mean, it'll be the next three episodes we talk about. We're we're also going to see a failure of trust happening. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, trust in particular has been like, uh, in the way that I talked about previously, like responsibility being kind of a keyword. Trust is like a keyword for a lot of these episodes. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I, I'll so I'll add to that, um, because because this is a big, like one of the uh, key like notes for me that I had. Um, so I, the way this the thought starts for me is with the masks. Um, yeah. So we have like this, the ne- another masked man, um, which who knows who that might be. Um, but there is like, so, you know, we're obviously carrying forward, um, the mask motif from like McGillis to this new masked man. Um, but the mask is like even more concealing. Um, whereas before it was kind of like a playful, you know, the characters may not have known it was McGillis, but like, some of them did, and we obviously, as the viewer, did know. Yeah. But um, for the audience, it was sort of a... Again, I I laugh when I see people who complain about how long they kept it going, because it was a joke. Like, yes, you're supposed to know from the first time that you see him that that's McGillis. Yeah. Um, but here it's a little more... Like you said earlier, it's a little more of a mystery. Um, so the concealment... Like, the, okay, we get another masked man, and the concealment is greater. Um. And there's also this linkage between like faces, trust, and intention. Um, so along with like the constant references to the idea of trust, um, which it, trust itself being like uh, one of the predominant motifs um, of the show, like especially re- in rela- relation to Tekadon. Um, but that's continuing to be like referenced heavily here. Um, but then also intention. Uh, comes up again and again, um, misleading uh, characters, misleading others about their intentions, uh, characters like not certain 
what the intentions of their allies are or the people around them, um, so on and so forth. Um, and I think there's this like chaotic, uh, sense, um, in, in season two, uh, with this, like in the plot and then also in the relation between the characters, there's this like mass confusion of identities, alliances and intentions. Yeah. Um, which is culminates in like the war, uh, which is a war that's like founded on all these things. Um, but I see this as like, we get this survey of like the, uh, social and like military consequences of Gellerhorn's, uh, hegemony, like being destabilized. Uh, but here, I think this is the consequence uh, of like McGillis's like deconstruction of Gellerhorn's like legitimacy. Um, we're like, okay, yeah, there's this whole ideological order that Gellerhorn has in place. Um, and with it, like this political order and so on. Um, and with Gellerhorn like being destabilized, um, all of these like symbols uh, and w- ways of like navigating, uh, understanding the world and people like relating to each other are thrown into like contention uh, or like are disturbed. Um, so then there's just like uh, this greater emergence of like dissimulation and lies uh, yeah. throughout like the entire world, um, which is further escalating things for Tekadon. Uh, because Tekadon is like an organization that is based on trust, like fundamentally. Yeah. Uh, so with them like having to navigate all of this, um, this like, um, I think this opposition or this like arrangement of ideas it seems to be like a key uh, concern in season two. Yeah. Um, sort of a, as a note in this, you, you were talking a little bit about, ma- about masks and it reminded me of, um, Joe did not send in an email. Uh, he, while listening to ghost divers, uh, while falling asleep, sent me a bunch of messages online, um, that could have been an email, but I, I will, uh, read this cause I think there's some interesting stuff around a, a few of the things that we're talking about here. Uh, so he says, uh, listening to Divey, and I've been thinking about the idea, uh, the way the idea of modernity is instrumentalized through the show. Um, the world of Mars and the conditions of living, uh, or, and their conditions of living and their conflicts are much more aligned with the capitalist society in the way that it involves exploitation of labor, corporations and unions, etc. Um, but also the world and architecture feels more modern, while uh, Earth and Yatlahern uh, is an artifact of a medieval civilization that is based on colonial exploration. Uh, so most of the noble characters we see act and have the moral compass of the old world, um, rather than like a, a new world. Um, and while Kudelia's revolution starts taking shape by allowing or creating the astonishment of the old, there's an underlying current of the bourgeois characters also using a, her as a pawn to modernize society so that they can gain political and economic power. Uh, with Tewaz as a kind of middle point in this. 
Um, I think some of that Tewas being a middle point, being kind of that like Yakuza position, that thing of uh, this thing that existed in like, uh, you know, older, like um, more traditional caste based Japanese society getting ported over into this like slightly uh, changed form of like organized crime as it exists in like a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. Um, also their, their outfits when they do the ceremony being like, they have the necktie and stuff, but then also have like traditional, uh, you know, Japanese clothing as well over it. Um, I think that's also a part of the aesthetic of Tewas. Um, anyway, uh, continuing on, uh, also since I've watched the show, uh, before there's a line from McGillis that stuck with me when he shows up as Montag that he's free to be who he is when he's using a mask. Um, we still haven't gotten like the full thing about McGillis, so I won't comment on that further, but uh, I'll have that out there. That's a line to think about. Um, and then um, let me see. Uh, and then he says, uh, I would expand on that and the relationship to the focus given to eyes, expressivity from certain characters and the taking of a role by some characters, but I'm sleepy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then also talks about white faces, black masks, um, specifically, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, especially Ayn, him being half Martian, um, Fanny needs to be quoted at least once in this season, uh, that has been one of my favorite from Divey. Um, and then the the quote that Shuo uh, sent is, as I begin to recognize that the Negro is the symbol of sin, I catch myself hating the Negro. But then I recognize that I am a Negro. There are two ways out of this conflict. Either I ask others to pay no attention to my skin, or else I want them to be aware of it. I try then to find value for what is bad. Uh, since I have unthinkingly conceded that the black man is the color of evil in order to terminate this neurotic situation in which I am compelled to choose an unhealthy conflictual solution fed on fantasies, hostile, inhuman, in short, I have uh, only one solution to rise above this absurd drama that others have staged around me to reject the two terms that are equally unacceptable and through one human being to reach out for the universal. Uh, And then said, sending this to Ayn. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, hopefully Ayn is the masked man and still has time to, um, time to, to read it. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. If it's like full robot body built, you know? Yeah. He's just it got like, a, yeah, like a humanoid ro- robotic body now. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I've been playing along with all the, ah, oh, yeah, it seems to be Galileo just to like further throw you off because there is going to be this twist. Letting me believe that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, I think, or maybe it's Carter. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely Carter actually. Um, but I think Jero for the, uh, for the great contribution. Um, yeah. Cause I think that is a really succinct, um, well, other perspective, um, but also, uh, very much, uh, on point. Um, yeah. And, and brings out, uh, or at least helps like helps me um, kind of like form some of the uh, uh, tie together some of the threads that we're uh, trying to, to tease out. Yeah. Especially what, what is happening with uh, Tekadon and Kudelia in relation to um, Gatlahern and like uh, McGillis's plans for that. Um, yeah. W- what's interesting is, um, 
one of the things that that Jerome brought up about you know um these different like uh the different forms uh of these regimes so like oh yeah mars is more um seemingly this like modern capitalistic society uh whereas like the earth uh the earth-based gellerhorn has these medieval uh has this medieval medieval dent uh but it's all gellerhorn you know yeah um so the the nuances of that are uh very interesting um and i think we see that in the way that like okay now mcgillis has like this position of power well what has he done i mean it's like kind of the same right yeah uh like maybe he hasn't i'm sure we haven't uh seen his like full vision of what he intends for gallarhorn uh at this point um but it's like uh is this really like uh as much of a transformation as uh as one would expect uh yeah. from from some of his comments not quite um uh there there is i mean but also in a way where what is he still going to do um you know orga keeps grasping for for power but i think like the one concrete um objective that we have for mcgillis right now is that basically he he wants to like also destroy uh rustal elion so that he can like subsume that power as well and then through that have like essentially more power within the seven stars because right now he's kind of sharing it equally with all of them and so if he can sort of like take over uh rustal elions then he gets like a a stronger position um yeah you know like like say char in char's counterattack (laughs) (laughs) um yeah uh a lot of a lot of Shar stuff happening. Um, uh, spoilers: The series ends with uh, McGillis dropping a colony on Earth, um, and then Mikazuki pushing it back. Yeah, McGillis starts sense. to like suddenly starts talking a lot about pollution. Um, yeah, <laughs> and not polluting the Earth anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that um, the framing that that Drew offered is uh, is definitely something that that I'll continue to think about. Um, especially yeah. cause it's like, um, the way that it's diffused throughout the different, uh, organizations is, uh, is interesting. Um, cause like, uh, you know, tech taking on the, like we talked about the, the trappings of like medieval, a more medieval style of combat, um, being forced into that, uh, because of their, like, you know, their situation and their origins and whatnot. Um, even as they're emerging from like the Martian side, um, they are the ones who are, you know, they also have the, this, um, these medieval characteristics. Um, yeah. So, uh, we'll see if we can, uh, go anywhere with that. Yeah. Um, there, there is also, and we can talk about this more with the next three episodes. Um, but like, Gallaghern feels uh, very fractured as an organization, uh, even in the first season between like uh, the Earth and Mars, where like when they are fighting Gallaghern around Mars, it feels like those people are at least more accustomed to like the modern combat stuff that Tekadon does. 
Whereas when they get to Earth, it is just like, oh, they they have just like haven't seen combat. Um, or they have, but like in ways that are just very easy to do these like uh very old strategies around. Um, you know, Carta issues like I think played somewhat comically around how much she's just like, let's all stand in a line and you know, charge at them. This antiquated um, style of combat. Yes. Yeah. Um, but um, I think we also are meant to take that as somewhat representative of like what the the Earth branch is like, whereas Mars, um, perhaps by the distance being a little bit more modernized already, uh, perhaps just by having to engage with the this, you know, with pirates and things like that, they seem to be at least more equipped to to, um, you know, fight those fights in the on the terms of like how those fights are happening with the pirates and Tekadon and everything. Yeah. And then Gellerhorn itself being like pioneering the technology. Th- this, this like mod, I'll use the term loosely, like quote unquote modern form of combat, but the more advanced, more powerful, like Gundam frames, um, which is like the most effective weaponry. Um, Gellerhorn being like the enti- the organization that created that, um, but also like, trying to suppress that and instituting uh this like antiquated tactics uh yeah so that division uh yeah it manifesting in various uh uh areas there yeah um one thing I, i'll i'll say a more general statement um about these episodes uh some of what's at stake, uh, I think, first of all, the like internal division of organizations is, uh, as we've been discussing, um, is a key theme because um, we're seeing it in, uh, and especially in the pl- the coming plot. Um, but we see it in Arbrow, Tekadon, Gallahorn. Uh, we. Uh, some indications of it with Tewaz as well. Um, and then also with like Gyojan and um, Kudelia who appeared to be like, you know, at once part of the same Mars liberation thing um, now like divided. Um, so all these organizations are like uh, internally divided and um, having these tensions. Uh, and then one of the other things that is, along with that that's at stake is um, the like dissolution or destabilization of regimes. Um, Like how much that is actually possible Uh, because in in some ways it it appears to um, very much be the case, Uh, you know, at the top uh, of the episode 26, it's like, Oh yeah, here's all these ways that, um, Gellerhorn is destabilized and here's all these power vacuums, um, and all of this chaos. Uh, but then I, I think, uh, we're invited to, um, consider like whether or not the like actual, uh, larger structural conditions have changed at all. Um, yeah. And then also like the trappings uh, of 
the the prior system, like how much they have actually been uh, destabilized or how much that's possible um, appears to be uh, another another thing that's trying to like working itself out here. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Mikazuki and also yeah. maybe Orga? In, yeah, in we should. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll let you. I'll let you go first on Mika. Yeah, I think uh, one is like probably the most obvious uh, on the surface thing. Uh, there's sort of this, like, to some degree, that Mika's disability is being used to like literalize the way that Mikazuki is only complete when he is fighting. Um, that when he is in Barbados fighting, that is when, uh, you know, and this like terminology of, of complete is kind of a, a loaded way to talk about things, but like, um, you know, he's fully able there. Um, and outside of the cockpit, uh, you know, he worries about his ability to help out. Um, Hush thinks of him as useless, uh, you know, surprised at what he's able to do. Um, we, we see do, him with his arm in the sling. Yeah, uh, he often like has his arm in a sling. Uh, we see close-ups of his face where, um, you know, there's only the, the anime glint in the left eye. Um, the right eye sort of, like, lacks that that uh, light. Um, and so, uh, and, you know, the... the we, we continue to get the armband as well, um, which you know, he said uh, previously is sort of the thing that, that protected his other arm. Um, the, you know, Atra's bracelet there. Um, and so there's also that, like the, the bracelet, the thing that, um, you know, Olivia pointed out uh, in the discord. I mean, I forget if we brought this up on an episode or not, Um, but like, we'll sometimes hide the bracelet like behind his back when he's going to shoot and things like that. Um, the part of himself that he holds yeah. back from the fight. Yeah, there is a part of him that he holds back. But then also now, like when he shoots Gyojan, he has to do it with his left hand with the, the bracelet. Mm-hmm. Um there's also a way that like the uh the disability that's affecting his right hand has has forced him where he can no longer hold that hand back. Um when he's like fighting outside of Barbados. Um so um yeah, there's, there's like a way that uh, I think that's also representing like a an increasing danger of like the things that he can't hold back, the the ways that you can, will be, can become more and more subsumed into like Barbados um, and that role. Uh, even as you know, while he's worried about like what am I able to do outside of the the cockpit, he's also doing like significant things for Mars agriculture. Um, with all of these experiments about what crops can I grow, you know, uh, how can I diversify the, the crops here, all of that kind of stuff, um, which is like meaningful work. Uh, but also he expresses still like worries about, um, am I able to do enough because outside of the, the cockpit, I, you know, I, I can't use my right hand. I can't use my right eye. So, yeah. Um, and the, um, I don't think we've glossed over it, but I, I do want to linger on the the agriculture thing. Um, 
because I think we've really zeroed in on like, okay, yeah, the time skip. Uh, it's we see Tekadon like put into this position of greater power and therefore like greater cooperation and um, being enmeshed in the system, and like oh here's all of these hazards, um, and the ways that they like appear to be uh, like becoming compromised. Uh, or uh, like absorbed, subsumed into this. Uh, yeah. But there are like some indications. Um, I think we would be remiss to not point out that like the resistance of Tekadon um, appears to be intact in these like. Um, in some ways, like there are things that they're like trying to do, uh, that could be, uh, substantive, um, like for instance, like the orphanage, uh, like the farm and the orphanage, um, are the two big ones. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, okay, yeah, the farm, that is the like foreshadowed, uh, like free future that is discussed in season one where everyone's like, well, yeah, you know. Once when we're not when we don't have to fight anymore, this is what we want to do is we want to like have a farm. Um, and now they have a farm. Uh, it's not like, you know, it's it's complicated here because it's not um, it's called out in episode 26. Like, oh, well, the farm doesn't make enough money, so we have yeah. to keep like fighting. Um, but the farm exists now. Uh, and the same thing with like the orphanage. Um, they're like trying to, it's not like a structural change. Yeah. Um, but it is like an intervention, uh, that like right now it's imperfect because they're still in this like, uh, position that's compromised for all these reasons. Um, and the orphanage is like, you know, gonna just feed into like tech it on, uh, where like a lot of these kids are just going to go and like fight in tech it on. Uh, pres- presumably uh, so one way of looking at this is like oh well the cycle's not broken at all um, but also like this stuff exists uh, yeah. and in the same way like Mika um, doing this stuff about like uh, diversifying the like agriculture and stuff um, there's like a potential revolutionary uh aspect to that uh so they are like i just want to make sure that we really uh identify that stuff happening so it's not just like oh yeah take it on is like you know compromise now um, yeah it's not one-dimensional like that um and mika is like an important part of um the like signs of life or signs of resistance i would say yeah um, while also being like the the larger largest uh, you know most powerful an actor of like the violence that they do as well, yeah, um, yeah. So um, the, those things being imbricated with each other is, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, very very good uh, point there. Um, and then 
just to like jump over to Orga here, you had a note, which is a thing that I noticed as well, um, that Orga is, is often animated closing his right eye. Um, you know, the same as, as Mika's blind eye. Um, some sort of like uh, subtle um, linkage there happening between them. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to... Uh... I don't know if I have a comprehensive read of this at this point. Um, yeah. But I did. Well, and also I, I... to like to, to go all the way back um, to go even back to our Kino's journey season, uh, you know, Orga has that big uh, thing, like bit of hair that falls in front of his face that, that Kim <laughs> always wants to chop off, but that it was like often covering one eye um, in a lot of scenes. Uh, and now like that has also become more uh permanent with mika and with orga closing his eye frequently um or like more significant i guess yeah um and i think there's like a i mean one way of of thinking about this is like uh you know it's symbolic of a single vision uh mm-hmm. of this like monomania, monomania. exactly <laughs> <laughs> um so there's like a a, a single vision that um, that is happening with Orga. Uh, and then Mika and Orga um, being linked in this way that like they're mutually reinforcing this um, kind of like uh, monomania um, that they're just like driving forward and forward and forward. Um, the other thing I would say about Orga here is um the question, like the the idea of moving forward, which you pointed out already, um, yeah. But he's constantly we get this like multiple times. Um, the only way we can protect where we belong is by moving forward, uh, and then permutations of that. Um, and so we have this question of autonomy I- embedded in this, where like if the goal is to gain enough power to have freedom. Um, well then what point, like, what point is that? Uh, yeah. and the time skip brings us in because, uh, or like it, it expands the horizon of this, uh, in a way that complicates this question because like, okay, yeah, they're not like human debris anymore. They're established as a company. They're all, um, their rights are not like directly in question. Um, they're like free people within this society, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, but, the comment on we can fly in, in Gallahorn space just freely. Exactly. Exactly. They're allied with Gallahorn, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. They're like totally, they're allied with Tewaz, they're allied with Gallahorn. Um, and they're like, you know, renowned, uh, and uh you know so they have this like freedom of movement they have this agency um but uh do are like are they really free at this point uh well we get a lot in these episodes to suggest that um that they're really not um yeah because they're still like subordinate uh to all of these uh either like actors in the system or these structures uh even though they're at like a higher level of the hierarchy now, um, they're still like uh, just as uh, 
like dependent or subordinate uh to to all of this stuff um hence like them being forced to take a uh this more sacrificial uh position in the fight against um dawn horizon um and uh and then you know we'll we'll see <laughs> as well uh the precarity of their position in the next few episodes yeah um but uh so on one hand it's like you know they're they're really not free um but the immediate situation of freedom that like or unfreedom uh that this idea was a response to like that's been alleviated uh and now like i i think the more uncomfortable question is like um well when, when are you free are you only free when you're like in control of everything yeah um and you're not like uh you're not vulnerable to like anyone else um in which case Tekanon starts looking a lot more like a Machinai, a Megillus, um, the other people who are trying to accomplish uh, the same thing. Yeah. Um, by just like gaining more power to like have that power. Um, and then, you know, we get in episode 26, uh, Orga saying, would Biscuit try to stop me? Um, so we have Biscuits like, uh, opposition that we discussed in the last episode, um, but that continuing to like hang over this um, as it's like progressing. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk at all about Hidalia, or do we want to get on to the next episodes? Um, let's do the the final episodes, and then we'll maybe come back to Hidalia at the end. Yeah, I feel I feel like there's also. A certain amount that we can talk about her next time because we get a little bit of her, but all, most of it is kind of what we already talked about with uh, Admos and then this like moment of doubt. So, um, yeah, I think we can do the the next three episodes and then see how we feel, how late it is. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so, episode thirty, inauguration of the Arbrow Defense Forces. So uh, Machinai calls Kudelia to talk about the commencement ceremony for Tekadon, and when she expresses concern uh, that she is not working towards her true goals of Mars independence, he's just like, yeah, be patient. You're taking little gradual steps. This is how politics work. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, Tekadon on Earth wonder if they will uh, have to return to Mars um, now that the training of the Arbrow Defense Force is complete. Um you know, it seems like at least I uh, I, f- I forget if this is what it is, but like Takaki kind of wants to stay on Earth with. Um, why do I keep forgetting her name? I forgot Fuka. this because I was doing notes too. What? Fuka. 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 Um, yeah. Um, then uh, during the ceremony, the Arbrow Defense Force uh, is going to guard the interior of the the building, while Tegadon guards the exterior. Um, we. We just sort of learn this as a little detail here. Uh, we get another moment of Takaki inviting Aston to his home. Um, but this time he declines because he's like, I know your sister needs to study. Um, whenever I come over, she's, you know, all worried about taking care of me and intending to, you know, making food and all that stuff. And I just want her to be able to study. Um, 
Meanwhile, uh, the Mars branch of Tekadon is preparing some sheet ends to ship to Earth. Um, in the the mess hall of sort of the the I think it's just the headquarters and not the the ship yet. Uh, Mika is expressing concern about Orga losing weight. Uh, it's like you need to you need to eat. You're getting scrawny. Um, I think we also I think this is when we see Mika putting some of those like little rations on like a His plate mashed of potatoes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and telling people that they should like mix some in cause it's got lots of nutrients. And once again, people think that they taste bad and he's like, Oh, did you get a bad one? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, aboard the, uh, Gatlerhorn ship. Um, I don't know the name of the ship, but we keep seeing it. Um, uh, it's the, it's Rustle's ship. Um, I think at some point I just start calling it Rustle's ship. Um, Eoc, Julieta, and Rustal are talking about what to do about Megillus, um, and also that like this required this necessitates working with the mysterious masked man. Um, and Eoc's like, I despise that man, uh, but Julieta seems intrigued by him. Um, so she goes to to see the masked man uh, and tells him that. Um, you know, she admires Rustall because he's a superior that she can respect. Uh, seems like she, there are some people, even though they are like above her in the hierarchy, uh, that she doesn't respect and she just doesn't give them the time of day. Um, for some reason, this, this seems to strike a chord with the mysterious masked man. Yeah. The idea of a person being really devoted to their superior officer that they respect a lot. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, we can talk. I I don't think I have a lot to talk about with Julieta, like with these episodes, other than I like her a lot as a character, but there's some, I think, especially in this moment, intentional paralleling with Ayn. Um, but also some other stuff, you mm-hmm. know, um, I guess we'll see. She's very, she's very, uh, in demeanor and stuff different than I, but I think there's a little bit there that's connecting. Um, Back on Earth, uh, the the Earth branch of Tekadon are beginning their operation to protect the ceremony. Um, and Chad Chadden, I think, is his name. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just laugh every time I see it. Uh, but Chad uh, ends up. Um, so like he's basically the only Tekadon. He's been sort of the the leader of the Earth branch, uh, sort of the head of the Earth branch, and he's the only one in the building um, during the ceremony. Um, and notes that the. I think it's Chad who notice, notes, like, when did that flower vase get here? Um, and realizes it's a bomb and, like, dives to protect Machinai. Uh, we learn that both are, are injured. Um, I think Lem's trying to break in again. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. I opened the door and Lem didn't come in, so we'll see. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it protects, but... They're, they're both injured and basically for, for the rest of these three episodes are um, like in a coma, both of them, I think, um, or like injured in a way where they are not even communicated. Incapacitated. With. Yeah. Um, then uh, in a bar nearby, we see um, one of the sort of collaborators. Uh, I think I, I looked it up and he's like role is supposed to be like auditor or something, uh, but has been working with Tekadon. Um, who I, I forget if we get his name right away, uh, but we eventually learn is Radis, um, or Radice. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just Radis. Um, but he's at this bar along with um this like gruff bearded man who we will learn is uh Gallon 
or Galan. Um, again, I, I don't know how the dub pronounces these and whatever. Uh, but yeah. Radis Reloto is, yeah, the full name. Um, it's good enough until we get corrected. Yeah. Um, so I lost my, my spot here. Um, uh, Radis oh, yeah. is involved in the bombing. Yes. Uh, who's been working with Tagadon. Uh, then McGillis, uh, is investigating the bombing and notes uh, that it could be related to something with the replacement of Gatlaherna's security, that there's like some sort of um, additional tension happening there around the, the current political situation. Um, Tekadon's uh, earth branch wants to seek revenge in particular for Chad. Um, meanwhile, uh, on Mars, Orga suspects that something is off because uh, communication between the branches has become bottlenecked by Radis. It's like he's basically the only one that people are talking to and they're really not getting much. It's like the same story every time. Um, so uh, it seemed like it was originally going to be a small group that was going to send the Sheedans or like ship the Sheedans to earth. But now like Orga, Mika, a bunch of other people are planning to go along on the delivery. Um, at this point for sure is when they are on the Hoda Ruby and not the East. They, uh, Issa Ruby or Issa mm. Ruby. Um, but yeah, uh, they plan to go along. Um, and, uh, Kudelia asks if she can come as well. Um, then, uh, back on earth at Takaki's home, uh, Takaki, uh, Takaki and Aston talk about Radis, uh, sort of saying, you know, being a part of, of, uh, Tegadon, we thought of him as family, but now we can't trust him. Like, what does it mean that we can't trust our, our family? Um, and I wrote Anton here instead of Aston. <laughs> I think it's uh, more like Takaki tr- does like still trust Radis at this point. And yeah. It's like, oh, he's family. Of course we have to trust him. And Aston is like, obviously not trusting him, but like not really saying that yeah. outright. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Aston swears to protect Takaki's happiness and his sister's happiness, uh, here on earth. Um, once you say that, uh, bad news, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thrown up lots of death, pl- death flags across these episodes. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then it's sort of building towards this potential, uh, involvement with Tekadon from like, you know, a war might break out soon between Arbrow um, and the the bordering block of the SAU. Um, yeah, for reasons that like still no one seems to understand very well. Yeah. Uh, um, which and, is, by the way, the Strategic Alliance Union is what SAU stands for. I don't know if they got ever it. say it in here, but Strategic Alliance Union. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's um, great. But they they are like uh, North and South America um, are sort of the like regions, whereas Arbrow is, um, I think, Russia, Canada, Alaska, like that sort of northern section. OK, yeah, got it. Um, so I don't know where this is going to go. Um, well, maybe we'll find out in episode 31, Silent War. Uh, the war begins. Um, so this escalates rather rapidly. Yeah, we get um, we get like some little uh, vignettes almost, or like little uh, like voiceover with some shots that are kind of 
going over the the weeks that have passed that have like resulted in this escalating war. Uh, and the the battle rages. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we get a little background where it's like uh, an SAU recon plane. There's kind of like a tragic uh, confusion that started the fighting um, where it was just like an accident. Um, but now the fighting's underway. Uh, SAU is fighting with assistance from the uh, Outer Earth Orbit Regulatory Joint Fleet, uh, led by Megillus, uh, while the Arbrow side is supported by Tekanon. Uh, and a mercenary group led by a man named uh, Galen Massa, who we previously saw conspiring with Radis. Uh, the action opens two weeks into the war as skirmishes break out along the border uh, between the two uh, blocks. McGillis notes that Arbrow uh, has been successful because they're using, uh, they're just basically utilizing Tekkenon well, um, like marionettes, he, he says. Yeah. Um, on the Arbrow side, um, Gallen praises Tekadon and in particular Takaki and Aston. Um, he's kind of like, as the viewer, we know that uh, uh, Galan or uh, Gallen, I'll just call him Gallen, um, is treacherous. So we know that he's like um, manipulating them, but he's he's doing it through praise. Uh, uh, and yet the members of Tekadon are losing morale. Uh, because they don't have any idea uh, what they're fighting for, which is a first for them. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Did you want to interject? Well, uh, there's a thing where I like note where it specifically comes up, but like throughout these episodes, there's like this war feels different than like the other fighting we've done, and we can't quite place why. Uh, we'll eventually get like a placing of that, but mm. yeah, uh, a lot of it coming from Takaki like yeah leading the war but feeling this unease uh and when a member of tekadon calls uh gallon their captain even takaki starts to like to break um so tensions are very high uh meanwhile on rustle's ship julietta speaks with the mysterious masked man about his mobile suit um this is a suit that we haven't seen before i think yeah. Um, new model, and it's very apparently very special. Yeah. Looks like a Gundam. Uh, yes, looks like yeah. a Gundam. Um, it seems... Uh, well, we'll discuss the suit later, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and the masked man reveals that he knows McGillis. Uh, meanwhile, Rustle, uh, Rustle and Eok talk about how the SAU Arbrow War is currently hurting McGillis' reputation. Um. Uh, which is the intended uh, outcome for them. Uh, back on Earth, Takaki moves into combat with a Tekadon force, and Aston once again promises to protect Takaki's happiness. That's um, fine. Yeah, they're thereby ensuring his his fate. Yeah. Uh, Just to remind you, uh, I threw up a death flag before. <laughs> uh, aboard the Hotorubi in flight to Earth, Orga and the others talk about their inability to reach the Earth branch. Um, because again, uh, Radis is manipulating the communications, uh, and Orga is like, yeah, but it should be okay because I put people in charge down there that I trust. Um, so I'm going to have faith in, in the, my trust, for, uh, for them. 
the rest of Tekkenon are anxious as they wait on the ship, um, which is going to take, uh, is still on its way to Earth. Yeah. Uh, Hush wants to be ready for his first mobile suit fight. He has been permitted to uh, to um, fight in a, in a mobile suit now. Um, and Mika tells him that the best way to prepare is to rest uh, while he can. Uh, back on Earth, Fuka is worrying about Takaki and Aston uh, while they are engaging in combat. Uh, and they're uh, narrowly saved by uh, Gallen. Uh, the next day, Gallen says they will be able to go home soon if they just stick it out. Um, and uh, back on the Hotaruby, uh, they're now in Earth's orbit, but they are uh, uh, forbidden to send a shuttle down uh, beca- because of Arbrow's state of emergency. Um, so Arbrow's not letting them land. Uh, in private, uh, we see Radis and Gallen talking about um, how easy it is for them to control the human debris of Tekadon. Uh, especially Aston. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Aston tells Takaki he understands why this battle feels different uh, because it's their first time fighting under someone other than Orga. Uh, when Aston says this is what it means to be human debris, um, that, oh, well, you just follow orders, you fight and die, um, Takaki like, contradicts him and is like, no... Under Orga and Tekadon, you have freedom that you don't have elsewhere. Like this is that's not your just yeah. like absolute fate. Um, challenging his fatalism, basically. Uh, that morning, Megillus is like uh, need, um, deciding he needs to break the stalemate. He launches in a Grey's Ritter, and uh, Gallen also launches in his Gear Rail. I think. Yeah, Gear, gear Rail. rail. Garel. Yeah. Uh, in the final moments, Fuka leaves for school and says goodbye to the absent Takaki. Um, and while on the battle, uh, meanwhile on the battlefield, Takaki races uh, towards the awaiting fight um, and reflects that he is being swept away um, by by all these forces that are, um, you know, gr- greater than himself. Yeah. Um, and then episode thirty-two, my friends. Uh, so the battle truly rages, um, and McGillis is now on the field and is handily defeating the Arbrow Defense Force, um, just, you know, just taking down mobile suit after mobile suit. Um, meanwhile, Tekadon and the mercenaries watch from afar uh, and sort of identify McGillis's commander type razor and are like, oh, if we can take that one down, you know, maybe we will we'll be able to win this fight. Um but before they head out to do a Aston, once again, it's like, remember, I promise that we're going to return home to Fuka together. Uh, just so you know, I threw up some death flags. I'm going to do yeah. another one right now. Another statement uh, that's definitely coded within this show is I- imminent death. Yeah. Um, this is also just like a broader Gundam thing, I feel like. But uh, yeah, within the yeah. show too. Um, then uh, five of them. Uh, surround McGillis and uh, I I forget if like one or two of them are mercenaries but definitely like the majority of the the mobile suits surrounding McGillis are Tekadon uh, and so McGillis calls out and is like uh, Tekadon who ordered you to cut me down here uh, was it Orga like basically confident knowing it wasn't Orga um, and you know, people hesitate, uh, Takaki hesitates here, but, uh, Aston charges forward, 
um, seeing this, Takaki moves in to support him. Um, and Takaki is almost killed, but then, uh, Aston takes the blow and then, uh, sort of like as he is dying and his mobile suit is, is severely damaged, just kind of like basically just like using it to pin McGillis's Grace Ritter, mm. uh, so that somebody else can get in a hit. Um, and Gallon's moving in for the kill when, uh, once again, Mikazuki and Barbados, uh, just crashes down, uh, you know, falling from space, um, and says that he was given orders by Orca to protect McGillis. Um, so, uh, Gallon retreats and Mikazuki is about to give chase, but, uh, hesitates when he sees Takaki, like, crawling into the wreckage of, um, Aston's mobile suit trying to save him. Um, and you know, we see Aston in the suit, like impaled by shrapnel or like, you know, broken off pieces, it seems. Um, and, uh, is actively dying and bleeding out. Um, and in his final moments, Aston says he wishes that he never met Takaki and Fuka because in order to survive as human debris, you need to kill your own souls so that you won't feel pain when you lose others. And also so that you won't be um, afraid to die. You won't be sad to like lose a life, to lose the life you have, because you're if you kill your soul and you're just kind of uh, living as human debris, um, you know, you don't have a like life to return to, to look forward to. So, yeah. Uh, there's no pain in losing that then. Um, so, uh, kind of words of kindness, but also in this, just like, I wish I had never met you because then I wouldn't be sad to lose anything right now. Um, but I am sad. Yeah, but, but I am sad. So, um, then uh, Eugene, Akihiko, and uh, some other members of Takadon confront Radis. Um, and they receive word from Lofter that, uh, you know, m- many have died, including Aston gets specifically named. Um, when they hear this, they threaten Radis uh, and basically uh, for now only Sparrow's life because they need his assistance in finding and getting revenge on uh, Gallon. Um, at the mercenary hideout, uh, Gallen uh, and his men um, basically you know, alarms go off. They've been found. Uh, so they, they quickly mobilize. Um, I remember when I was typing this up, I almost wrote, um, mobilize their mobile suits and then just stopped at mobilize. Cause I thought that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was too repetitive, but uh-huh. uh, it is funny. Um, we know what so, you mean by mobilize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Tekadon, uh, face off against, uh, you know, the whole group, but there's like this, uh, kind of separating out, cutting off uh gallon from the rest that happens um and uh hashin is shiden um you know tries to confront him and is almost struck down almost killed by by gallon um but is saved by in the last minute by mikazuki um mikazuki loves to rush in and save people um and you know obviously feels some kind of way about this um as uh, Akihiko in the, the Gyushin rebake uh, uh, is then facing off against Gallon. Um, Gallon sort of says, oh, you seem like a, a decent guy. Uh, unfortunately, decent human beings who fight for justice are the first to die in the battlefield. Uh, and then Akihiko counters saying, good for you. You seem decent. Um, and <laughs> You must be you decent because you're about to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know is about to kill uh gallon and in like his his last moment um 
Gallon does a, a self-destruct on the Garel, which I think is, we'll find out, uh, stores data here. It's probably to try to cover some of that or like protect some of that, destroy some of that. Um, and also hopefully to take out Akihiko. Um, but he doesn't. Or is it Akihiro? It's Akihiro. I kept writing uh, Akihiko, but... Um, Can I just control H here? Yeah. Um... So, uh, after the battle, um, they're interrogating Radis further about his betrayal. Um, they're sort of asking about what happened and, and Mika just like pulls out his gun and is like, why are we even talking? He betrayed us. Like we should just get him down immediately. Um, and seems like he's about to pull the trigger when Takaki interrupts and says, uh, I want to have a chance to talk with him. Uh, this was, uh, Earth Branch's problem in the first place, and so it's our problem to resolve. Uh, and so Mikazuki's like, okay, uh, here, and hands the pistol to Takaki, uh, and they all leave him alone with Radis. Um, there's a little bit of talk about, like, should we be leaving him alone? And they're like, eh, you know, he needs to do this. Um, you know, this is the Earth Branch thing. We'll, we'll give him the space. Um, so uh, we then see inside Takaki sort of listening to Radis, giving all these excuses. Um, and then there's a part where he says, uh, you know, Orga is too far away on Mars. He doesn't understand the situation that we have here on Earth. Uh, the Earth branch needs to make its own decisions. Um, Takaki says, I agree. And then uh, points the gun at Radis. My decision is the same. Yeah. <laughs> and says, I've decided for myself and, and shoots Radis with the, the pistol. Um Meanwhile, uh, there's a little bit of intercutting that's happening here. Uh, Hush is sort of reflecting on his first mobile suit battle um, and basically how he feels even more inferior to Mikazuki uh, seems to be the general gist of it. Like now I'm in a mobile suit and uh, I feel even more than like when I was out of it, I just feel like I can't compete. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the reality faces. We're just fundamentally right different. Yeah. Um, we then uh, cut to a bit later, and uh, Mika and McGillis are looking over the wreckage of the Garyel. This is when uh, McGillis notes that uh, Gallon was cautious, uh, was managing all of the data for the group on the, the Garyel itself. Um, and we don't get it confirmed, but I'm assuming at least some of it was lost in the explosion. Um, again, I feel like that was like why part of the reason why he did the self-destruct. Yeah, I um, think that's that's the implication. Yeah. Um, and then there's also this moment where Miguel says, oh, also, um, I didn't do this yet. Thank you for saving me, uh, you know, uh, last episode or whatever, uh, whenever that happened. Um, you know, it reminded me of a scene from the legend of uh, Agnika Kaieru, uh, I think. Is yeah, Kaieru. Yeah, Kaieru. Um, and uh, Mika's just like, Agnika, <laughs> uh, while like eating something, so it's just all like Agnika, you know. Um, and McGillis like kind of explains the founder of Galahun, like the the one who created it. Um, so, hmm. Uh, on board Rustle's ship is revealed that Galahun was actually a member of Galahun. Uh, who had forsaken his own name, took some different name to work in the shadows for Rustle, um, was sort of part of the one orchestrating this war to, like, you know, uh, ruin some of McGillis's reputation. Um, 
In the final moments, we see Takaki return home from Fuka, who asks him uh, where Aston is and, you know, meaningfully is unable to answer. Um, you know, she understands what that means. Yeah. The episode's like ending at the moment of her realizing yeah. um, what, what it, what's happened. Yeah. Um, so my initial thought, uh, I wrote here in the notes, I actually took a few notes this time. Um, I saw this. Yeah. So there's a bigger thing that we've already been kind of talking about, but we can talk about how it develops here. But first I want to just bring up, um, Takaki and Aston, a huge homoromantic tension here. Um, the, the whole vibe of like, uh, Aston comes over all the time for dinner. Um, you know, Fuka has a photo of like the three of them on her, on her tablet. Um, I feel like there's not like a, a intense, like, uh, homoerotic tension there, but there is this like homoromantic thing mm. happening. Um, where they're, they are like creating a family in that sense. Um, yeah. They, they are like having this sort of uh, romantic relationship, even if I don't think the, the show's figuring it as, um, you know, we talked about the stuff with like Orga and Mikazuki, uh, Mikazuki being more like there's a, there's a certain homoerotic tension sometimes between them. Um, whereas I, I think a, it's a little bit less charged in that like sexual way here, but there is still like a, a romantic thing happening. Um I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna quick pull up a thing here as well. Um, I if you have like immediate thoughts, you can you can think about this. But um, well, I was tweeting. Is, uh, it's just there's there's a parallel as well with Orga and Mika between like Takaki and Aston's relationship is is paralleled. Um, I, I think it's telegraphed that it's like a similar type of relationship. Yeah, um, further strengthening your your case. Yeah. And on my locked Twitter, I was kind of uh, joking about this, you know, how how they're kind of gay with it <laughs> um, uh-huh. in this stuff. Uh, and uh, Olivia, who follows me on, on my locked, uh, said, I'm always thinking about these two shots from the, the OP, um, which I'll just send to the, the uh, chat here. But... Um, It'll, it'll take a moment for it to upload, I guess. I don't know why this is taking so long to upload. I'm, um, I'm awaiting them eagerly. <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I had a thought watching the, just because so much has happened, um, watching the OP here. Um, well, that's bizarre. It like finished uploading and then didn't send anything. <laughs> Let me, oh, there we there go. You go. Um, I'm just trying again. Um, but yeah, like these shots from the OP, uh, we've got the like mm. Aston uh, sort of resting his hand in his like chin, listening to Takaki. Um, and then Takaki's POV. Yeah. With like a little bit of a smile. Um, I feel like it's there. Uh, but yeah, I think some of it is acting to like um, point towards the, the way that there's a parallel there with like, um, you know, Orga and Mikazuki. Um, and so having that sort of relationship be, um, you know, at least somewhat 
homoromantic in its tone uh, is also pointing towards some of the the more explicitly homoerotic I think stuff with with Orga and Mikazuki but um yeah I would agree um the other thing is that um the Aston and Takaki relationship for, for me it seemed like um it's the second instance in this group of episodes where we have uh, a relationship that is like a mirror of Mika and Orga. Uh, yeah. So the first one is Hush and Beulith. Um, and then we get Asta and Takaki and both of them like end tragically. Yeah. Um, one with the, the loss of sort of the, the leader more. And then the other with the, the, you know, the Orga position and then the other one with the loss of like the Mika. Yeah. Um, so there's like this, um, threat or like hint of the breakdown of this key, um, relationship, the, the Mika and Orga relationship being like the seed that Tekadon like springs forward from, um, and is still like the, the core of the, the group and everything it represents. Um, but here it's like, um, in the same way that the show has done with a lot of the other concepts, um, it's like this, uh, potential failure, um, of, of that, like threatening it. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll see what, uh, the meaning of, of all of this is. Um, also with, with, uh, Aston's death scene i think there's a certain echo of uh akihiro's brother um, yes. whose name is escaping me um where you know so much of that was about this idea of human debris and it's sort of coming back uh here that in uh Takedon's, like fracturing um in the way that we're seeing you know, it being paralleled with other groups sort of fracturing, um, or having, uh, groups at odd with each other. Um, you know, Gyalahern, the Megillah side and the like Rustle, uh, Eox side, um, they're sort of at odds with each other. Um, and we also have this like, uh, potential of, and we get it like briefly, uh, you know, literally on the battlefield of like, Mikazuki coming down to stop the uh, the Takadon soldiers from attacking McGillis mm. um, and being yeah. on like that opposite side that they are able to get down because they go down to SAU. Um, that's the like shuttle route they're able to take. Um, so that stuff like um, hinting at uh, the potential like fracturing of Takadon as it gets larger in the same way that like Gatlerhorn fractures and some of the other groups. Gatlerhorn being the like biggest comparison here in many ways. Um, but also it tying into like Tekadon with a, a certain void of leadership does just kind of revert to a human debris force that uh, like Gallon is fully able to uh, take advantage of and operate with like maybe a little bit more overt manipulation or like, uh, you know, intentional manipulation than like what Sandoval was doing. Um, but there's not too much like 
difference between Sandoval using the human debris because they're easy and then Gallon saying the same thing. Oh, they're easy to control. We can use them as great fighters, you know? Yeah, um, it, it is. It's the, very much the same. Yeah, which is just them referring to, you know, what they were at the start when it was CJS. So um, yeah. that's also, also like a threat here. I think it also um, casts a different light on um, Orga. Like, mm-hmm. take it on it in its like whole form um, where, you know, part of Tekkenon's strength is that they just have that absolute trust in Orga and one another. Um, and they, you know, when Orga says to go forward and die, like they do um, and they do it with conviction. Yeah. Um, but, but here, is that also like, just even more effective manipulation uh, that results in better morale? <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's that question that the, the most disturbing, like, uh, interpretation, um, that, that gets brought out here. Um, and then also like, uh, the disturbing reality of what we see, which is that, um, taking on strength, like season one is a lot of them taking their weaknesses. Um, oftentimes the weaknesses like imposed on them and turning them to a strength. Um, but now in season two, we get their strengths being turned on them um, and becoming weaknesses, um, yeah. which is like evident. And um, especially with like Tokaki uh, being manipulated by um, Radis, um, but then also the, the entire like their entire force being uh, manipulated by Gallen. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll see where, uh, where, where all of that goes. Um, cat invasion. The, <laughs> a cat invasion. <laughs> that's not where it's going. That's what's happening. <laughs> not in this, like, show, but in, the, that would be, in this closet. <laughs> that would be an amazing twist. Um, just, uh, some some real ass aliens in Gundam. It's just like uh, cat people. Just cat people <laughs> come in, fill the void. Yeah, uh, left by Gellerhorn's uh, dissolution. <laughs> um, and then uh, the increasing like anxieties about. Uh, I'm I'm off of cats now. By the way, I'm not yeah. talking responding to the cat concept. Um. But then the like increasing anxieties about um, trust and be- like betrayal, um, which we see with the two executions, um, Al- uh, Gyojan and uh, Radis uh, are both executed for betray for betrayal. Um, yeah, which is like the greatest threat um, to what Tekadon is, um, because it's it's a tra- like so rooted in in trust and reliant on it um it's so vulnerable to betrayal um and so that's like the greatest uh the the greatest sin so then that that i don't think it's a coincidence that those are the executions we see yeah um there's also a a a thing happening here where um like one of the the main things we see of 
oh, the the Earth branch, like, uh, taking on some autonomy so that they can take care of things. Um, that in the absence of Orga and Mikazuki are sort of able to, um, you know, ho- hopefully, like, replicate this same sort of uh, ideally liberatory existence for, like, the members on Earth. Um you know, even if Orga's not around, uh, like the main thing that we see there as like a certain passing on of that responsibility, uh, that role is Mikazuki handing the gun to Takaki and Takaki also choosing to do the execution. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, which distinctly is like, we've definitely seen some parts where um, the group is like, you know, invading an enemy ship in the like spacesuits, and they've got the rifles and they're shooting and stuff. But I, I think this is like the first time that we see a character other than Mikazuki do this kind of like execution shooting, um, yeah, rather than like, right. uh, you know, being a, a like armed conflict between soldiers. Um, I think we've seen that with some other characters, but um, yeah, I do think this is the first like, uh, you know, Mikazuki. Very pointedly giving the pistol and, yeah, not doing the execution. Yeah. Um, I don't know. uh, I I think there's... I think we front-loaded this episode in that we talked a a lot about the stuff that pertains to these these final three. Yeah. Um, I will just point out, like, one line that stuck out to me. Uh, towards the end of episode 32 uh, this the war is dubbed the war with no name um, yeah which to me ties into like um, the masked man you know not having a name um, and then uh, there are also multiple points in these episodes where um, this happens with Chad's name where he's like his, his full name is said. And it's like a, um, a moment of like great significance, um, for him. Um, so things being named or not named is, uh, things and people, uh, it seems to carry weight. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that the war has no name, um, it's a reflection again of like, uh, this connection between like identity, um, names, like intention, um, where like, it's a war that isn't, it has no intentionality. Like it's just based on like deceit and these machinations. Um, it's not representative of like anyone's, um, of like anyone who's putting their name to it and their face to it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and we also get it like most immediately here paralleled with uh, the slight variation of like um, Gallen, who, you know, go like has a name, gets rid of that name, but then takes another one. I think, um, yeah. Yes. And we kind of saw this with McGillis, then as the masked figure without a name, but again, that stuff's done kind of playfully where you kind of know it's McGillis and then the assertion of this different name, Montag also coming along with the assertion of like, um, this is my intention. 
of trying to uncover the corruption in Gatlahern that like situates him in a way that was more ambiguous before uh, he gets like a clearer purpose and intention when he does that. Um, similarly, Tekadon being CGS that renames itself to Tekadon when it takes on like a new purpose, um, a new like leadership focus, all of that. Um, so there, there's also a certain amount to which like, uh, we we get characters without names, uh, but then also sometimes they might take on new ones that also signify something new about who they are or how they're positioning themselves or uh, what they're choosing to present or, um, you know, the, the new intentions they might be embodying. Yeah. Um, so a, a complex play <laughs> uh, of these elements going on uh, yeah. here. Um, so... Uh, I, I think the fact that the the war, I I don't feel it's coincidental that, uh, I, this is like kind of towards the end of the ep, uh, episode thirty two where it's like this conclusive, um oh the, it was like this was the war with no name, um, yeah, it it ties together a lot of the like anxieties, um, and the anxieties that are like emerging. Um, and then the changes, like in the world, um, that Tekadon is confronting, um, like the uncertainties of their um, their new position and um, the way that this world is like um, destabilized and like confused, seemingly. Yeah. Uh, if we don't talk about Kudelia, do you think we're shortchanging her here? Um, I mean, we'll have more opportunity to talk about her, but we can maybe do just a little bit. Um, again, I feel like we, we've kind of touched on the, the main things, but, um, I don't know if you have anything else to bring up. The two things that I think are warrant, um, highlighting are, uh, the thing that you already brought up, which is her in tw- episode 26, her response to Gyojan, where she's like, my actions now don't require philosophy. Words don't accomplish yeah. anything in this day and age. Um, and then we get the pan to the photo of her and Machinai. Um So this is a moment that seems to be like kind of realizing some of the fears that we talked about um, last discussion episode. We're like, oh, now she's really close with Machinai. And she appears to be like, influenced by him to whatever degree um and um and and now like you know she's doing all of these activities like she has the company and um she's more enmeshed with like these conventional regime politics yeah um and also well, and like and also in a a like sinister uh new take or potentially even inversion on it um, it's also kind of going along with like some of the stuff from season one where it's like, uh, we talked about her having sort of the, the conceptual framework of revolution, but not the like actual actions of it. Um, that one of the important things for her is like getting her hands dirty, having blood on her hands, and then she's able to shake Mikazuki's hand, um, pointing towards like a certain amount of like philosophy in and of itself is not enough. You also need actions, but there's a, uh, 
you're getting the danger here, as you're saying. Um, yeah. With her, of, like, apparently rejecting <laughs> the philosophy now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the meaning of that not fully revealed um, uh, yet, I guess. Um, but then the second moment uh, for me stands out is when she's reflecting on Gyojan and being like, uh, you know, maybe this wouldn't have happened if I had built a better relationship with him. Um, so then this other idea uh, that uh, a consideration of like the preventability of conflict. Yeah. Um, which you could take in two ways. Uh, well, at least two that are immediately apparent to me. Um, one being like uh, this kind of like avoidance of conflict uh, could be a, uh, a symptom of like uh, be just like being so enmeshed in the system that like, uh, well, you know, a revolution is going to entail conflict uh, fundamentally. Um, yeah. So now this is like a non-revolutionary stance. Of like, oh, well, you know, we'll just resolve everything diplomatically. Um, and so therefore, like another step down that path um, for her. Uh, or it could be um, this like uh, a, a, a more comprehensive like perspective from her. Yeah. Um, uh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just agreeing with what you're saying. Um, sorry, I didn't want to. Uh, if you had an interjection there, didn't want to keep going. But no, um, yeah, maybe like a more comprehensive perspective that is bringing in. Um. Okay. Well. Yeah, conflict is is necessary in in these instances, but when is it not? Um, and in that way, being like a counterbalance to. Um, uh, a possible pitfall for Orga, um, who was called out as like um, in earlier episodes as uh, being too preoccupied with uh, force. Yeah, um, and I think it's Naze and Amida who are like force alone will not accomplish uh, like systemic change. Um. Or not like constructive uh, systemic change. Um, so here we have the, this consideration from Kudelia of like, well, <laughs> um, does it really just all have to be about like uh, brutal like leverage and utility? Um, and like, oh, Gyojan wasn't useful to me anymore, so I discarded him. Um, and put him in a desperate position. Um, should I not have done that? Um, so again, we'll see where where this stuff with Cordelia goes. But I, I don't think we're given much, a, a lot more to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you also had the the note of the uh, which I I think is interesting as well. Um, where she's talking about, we have to think about the future now. 
obviously partially getting linked to um, um is this Kudelia who says it? Uh I think it's Orga. Okay. Oh yeah, maybe it is Orga. Um Actually, you know what? I have no idea who says it. I've forgotten. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Um but I yeah, think it's the, when they're looking over the mine. I think it's yeah. Orga when they're looking over okay. the mine. Yeah, and then they find the new mobile suit. So Um anyway. Yeah. Um I, I guess like to tie this back into one of the points we made about like regimes, the possibility of you're reforming them and what that or replacing what that looks like. Um, it seems like part of what's going on in these episodes is like, okay, you just like, yeah, you have this oppressive regime and you just like topple it or do you stabilize it with force? Um, and what happens after that? Well, it's not great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, when like when all you do is just like uh, destabilize the the ruling regime, uh, it's not just like bam, you know everything's better now. Uh, like in order to to get to a a liberatory outcome, like do you need more ingredients? Uh, and um. Do you need to actually like uh, take take a few more steps here uh, yeah. to to build some stuff to replace it? Um, so that seems to be hanging in the air. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that's all. That's all my uh, my immediate thoughts for now. Um, yeah, I think I think we're good. Um, I do have a final question for you before we wrap up. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I have a sense of what you'll say, but so, uh, I was messaging you a little bit earlier, um, because normally we record every other week. So like, a you know, we have a week off weekend off and then we record weekend off record. Um, but I'm going, uh, to Michigan over the Easter weekend, which we were going to be recording. Uh, so we had to move it. Um, and we're doing it in one week, but while I was talking with that, um, talking to you with that i was like yeah i think moving it so it's like one week after this recording makes sense because we get like half of the season you know uh done quicker yeah done quicker rather than done slowly um i think that like works more um because i don't entirely remember but like i do know that there's a new uh op for 14 of like season two episode 14 um Whatever that would be if I do the math. 33. Uh, Wait. N- no. No, it would be what? 39? 30, 39, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, often like seasons, although they won't be as hard as like, you know, season one to season two, that midway point, there's often kind of like a, a little bit of a climactic moment because um, of the way that like, uh, seasons are broken up in, in anime. It's like 13 weeks or, you know, 25, 26, um, that sort of range. So, um, anyway, I thought that would make more sense, but then I asked you, have you watched any of season two yet? Uh, and you said, not yet. I'm starting tonight. I'm pumped. I know it's going to be good. So did it live up to your expectations when you said that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying it. 
Um, I don't know. I wasn't like, I wasn't blown away when I first watched it. Um, but I did enjoy it. And now like the longer it sits with me, the more that the more I'm like liking it. Um, yeah. I don't really, I don't have any issue. Um, I do think like the, the first episode in particular, uh, so much stuff gets thrown at you. Um, that like you stop and you think about it and you're like, Oh yeah, this is like, uh, you know, the show is aware that like the end of season one is not, uh, the triumph that it was like kind of portraying it as. Um, but it's also like you watch that first episode and you're like, you just gave me like a bunch of where the world is right now. <laughs> yeah. It uh, is kind of like a world building dump. Yeah. Um, um, and so in the moment it also felt like a little bit of a letdown to me, but then I got to hear and I was like, Oh yeah. I, well, I there's also, it's, um, as far as the plot, like the narrative development, um, I think it's like kind of intentionally anticlimactic, um, yeah. because of like the nature of the, the war with no name and what's happening with that. Um, so it feels a little bit anticlimactic, uh, at the end of 32. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have that like release, uh, that makes you like really hyped up. Yeah. Uh, I do think but, there's a, these episodes sometimes feel a little rushed um, in a way where I think they could have expanded some of the stuff more. Um, but I, I, my guess, like often when I have remembered it, I don't really remember a lot of the stuff with these. I remember that like the general, where do people end up after season one? Um but I don't remember all of this stuff because I think some of it, it almost feels like you, they could have expanded that out and then done more, but they like partially want to get to what's the rest of season two. So, yeah, um, I do think they do a good job. These episodes do a good job of like character work for yeah. the most part. Cause there's a lot of like new characters brought in and they, uh, they get pretty far in establishing like a lot of characters um, and then establishing all the stuff that we like talked about all of these shifts. Um, I, I think it's pretty, um, it's pretty well fleshed out. Yeah. So um, that's my answer. Yeah. Um, we have anything else? Nope. Other than sleep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us. We will be back next week uh, or two weeks from now. Next week for us recording, but two weeks for you listening. Uh, we will be back in two weeks to talk about uh, episode 33 or episodes 33 through 38. Um, that'll be I'm fully my brain shutting down and ready to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be episode eight through 13 of season two. Um, if you have emails for us, please feel free to send them in right now, um, to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Um, again, especially the way that we're doing things now, there's like a much shorter turnaround. So I think sometimes I, I might pull in emails a little bit earlier if it's like about a specific thing. Um, but we'll also do the question bucket at the end. Um, just partially just us having a fun time too. 
Uh, if you're new here, question buckets tend to be uh, a lot of just joking around about characters and stuff like that. <laughs> um, please support the Export Audio Network. If you go to exportaud.io, that will take you to the Patreon. Um, you can also just go there and like find links to all of the the public feeds for the shows um, and not support directly. Uh, you know, just if you want to check out what else is on the, the network, maybe this is the first export audio podcast you've listened to. Um, but also if you do $1, you get early access to, um, a number of shows on our network, uh, not ghost divers, uh, but you do get, uh, pondering Puton and ornate stairwells early. Uh, those are two other podcasts that, uh, I do, uh, pondering Puton is with you, Connor. Um, it is, uh, Mostly us joking around. Uh, very all, different all about Yakuza trips. Yeah, con- mm, kind of. <laughs> totally, one hundred percent. Um, and then uh, Ornate Stairwells is a movie podcast that I do with my friend Autumn. Um, and we go similarly long in terms of episode lengths, uh, but much less on topic. <laughs> we tend to just sort of talk all around about various movies and stuff. Um, but good podcast. I know a lot of people enjoy that one too. So, uh, check those out. Uh, there's also a number of other episodes that you get, um, a week early, like, uh, let me, let me run through, uh, Gotham city limits, a Batman podcast, uh, podcast. Um, and then, uh, hot singles, uh, you get early. And I, I feel like part of my franchise, I think you get early. Um, forget when else i think that it has a free feed that's delayed oh um and coffee and comic books i think you you get uh early and then you also get um if you're a five dollar patron exclusive episodes i believe you get it early i don't know one of the things that people like about it is if you're part of the patreon feed you just get like a a one feed on your podcast app where a bunch of stuff a bunch of these shows come in so um i know a lot of people also just enjoy that uh, but it's also just a good way to support us. Anyway, this little spiel has gone long. Um, I'll call it one other podcast. <laughs> no, it's good. Our, we need to, to yeah. promo. We got to promo this stuff. Uh, my one other podcast is Around the Long Fire. It's on the Abnormal Mapping Network. Um, so if you go to abnormalmapping.com slash longfire, uh, you can find it there. Um, it is me and my friend M reading through uh, Icelandic sagas and talking about them. So... Um, we, as of this recording, uh, finished Njal Saga and are about to start Hamstringla. I think when you are listening to this, uh, we might have like our first, uh, Hamstringla, um, episode out, but, um, yeah. Uh, also just some things to look forward to that I'm going to say here. Uh, I'm going to be on, uh, so Abnormal Mapping, it, the podcast, uh, that sort of the network is named after, um, is a video game podcast. And in May, um, I am going to be on their episode for Chrono Cross, uh, which is one of my favorite video games. Um, you know, probably my favorite video game. Um, and then also they are currently doing, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, Seed Destiny. I think they do the whole Mobile Suit Gundam 
At the very least, Gundam Seed Destiny. They're currently watching through it. It's not a very good show. Um, but if you have suffered through it before or want to suffer through it for the completionist uh, purpose, uh, you can go check them out. Um, you do have to be a $1 patron to, to listen to the podcast at all. Uh, but it's a great podcast. I uh, highly recommend it if you are a Gundam fan. Um, I would be surprised if there's that many people listening to this podcast who don't know about them. Uh, but I was specifically calling them out because um, I'm going to be on the, the finale episode for uh, Gundam Seed Destiny. So, uh, something else to look forward to. Um, that's it for my spiels. Uh, you can find the podcast at ghost divers pod on Twitter or just at ghost divers on coast. You can find me at Fox Nia on Twitter and co-host. Where can people find you, Connor? Y'all can find me at Rabelais on, uh, Twitter and co-host. Um, I, I always just say Fox Omnia on like Twitter and coast, but it's like, any social media site that I have, I'm I'm Fox Mamnia. So if you want to follow my Annie list, it's Fox Mamnia. Uh, if you want to follow my Letterbox, it's Fox Mamnia. So, um, yeah. Uh, that's it. We're done here. Yep, we're done. Sleep time. See y'all next time. Yeah. Bye.
right, let's time it up. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay, 39. Felt like I was slightly late, but it's fine. Okay. We can always do another. I mean, if you want to. Yeah. 56. Okay. That one felt good to me. Yeah. I mean, I could hear you a little later, but with the lag, that should happen. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I clap, and then I immediately hear yours. Yeah, I heard yours, like, right as I was hearing mine. So I don't know. Okay. I, wouldn't, I don't know what that means, but that's why it felt good for me. I do think... Um, I, I realize this when I'm w- with Puton, where I always have to move yours a little bit. And are you using Bluetooth headphones? Yes. So you probably have a lag on your headphones yeah. that matches the lag that's happening. Very good point. Um, I had this realization because I always say buttons hit and you're like, I think hitting it because we do the three, two, one, whatever. And there's always like a little bit of a lag because you, it, you know, but I still feel like there's, there's something where um, maybe the headphones are affecting it to you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm reading your synopsis, and I love how like it's just very telegraphic. Oh in yeah, style. I uh, don't change it. I I yeah, I have not edited this at all. Don't change um, it. I will, I want this. Like I want to just read these like they are. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if if there's like typos, try to fix it. Because literally, what I've been doing <laughs> is I I am watching the show. And I'm not even looking at my keyboard or my computer or anything. I am just typing, like, often just, like, what I'm seeing. And sometimes, like, pausing and trying to, like, summarize a longer conversation, obviously. Yeah. Um, let's, but, like, let's, let's, let's have you explain this on the – what yeah. you're explaining now, we'll just explain it on okay. the pod before we start summarizing. Um, I have a very quick drink check, mostly just because we want this to be a little bit shorter. We're both tired. Um, so I'm not going to go into detail, but I'm just going to, I, I do have an option for you. Okay. So, um, we went to, to Mitsuo a little bit ago, not like this weekend, but I think last weekend maybe. Um, and so in addition to my water, I also have a Dr. Pepper cause I'm tired. So I'm going to crack that open once I feel like I need it. Um, but then, so I've had the Asahi in here, uh, and I keep it just like in the closet. Um, but I got it for when we did the Nana. Yep. Um, episode, the, the like New Year special. I remember. Um, it was a great episode. Yeah, because when they're on the train, uh, they drink Asahi. Um, so I have an Asahi, but then when I was at Mitsuo recently, I got a Kirin Ichiban because that's just like my favorite of these ones. So I have one of each that I like chilled. Um, and so which one do you think I should open first? The, so the Kirin is chilled and the Asahi is not. No, they're both chilled. Ah, uh, okay. Um, you know, I've I've had both of these beers, but I could not tell you. Like, I couldn't distinguish them at all. Probably. So yeah, I'll one just of them say, is that I just like wh- when I have Kirinichiwa, I'm like, oh yeah, this is my favorite. But I've never like had them back to back like this. That's part of why I'm doing it. We've never done like a beer uh, yeah. taste test like we did with should I just beers. like open both and taste them both right now yeah fuck it why not okay yeah whatever they're both getting opened 
So that was the Asahi. Um, I noticed while I was holding them that the Asahi can is slightly shorter. And then I noticed that it's 11.2 fluid ounces instead of 12. Whereas wow. Kieran's 12. Wow. Okay. Oh, that was a distinctly different, like, pssst when yeah. I opened it for the point, Kieran. Point for Kieran for greater volume. Yeah. I feel like it fizzed up a little bit more. Not that much, but. Okay. Um. All right. I'm going to try the Asahi first. Yeah, heavy, like, uh, malt is sort of that, you know, the, like, malted wheat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like, weedy quality. That is uh, definitely, like, the the foremost of it. Um, you know, neither of these are super hoppy beers, but y- you can taste the hop here. It's, like, super dry, you know? Um, it, it's uh, in the quality there. Um now they describe it as crisp taste, and I guess it's like compared to some beers, it's crisp, but um, it's not the crispest to me. You know, there's a little <laughs> bit of like a mellowness. Now uh, I'm gonna try the the Kieran Premium Beer. Um, this one has way less like flavor notes on it. There's a there's a bunch written on the Asahi can. Um, mm, yeah. Is it? Better? Yeah, I do like. I do like Kieran Ichiban more. Is it is it um, Ichiban? In yeah. Your rankings. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but it's kind of the PBR of Japanese beers to me, like okay. in terms of the flavor. Um, they're like it, there's not quite as heavy of that wheat flavor, that like malty wheat flavor. It's mm-hmm. still in there. Um, yeah, I don't like a super weedy, uh, yeah, like wheat forward taste. And I feel like it's also a little bit less hoppy, which is probably part of why I like it. Um, some people might say that there's a little bit less flavor here, but like specifically when I want a beer like this, I kind of want it that like you know that you're drinking beer, but also it kind of just like goes down like water. Um, not because I'm drinking a bunch of it, but you know. Well, that's what I like too, as we've established. Yeah. Uh, I don't like too much flavor. Um, there are definitely beers where I want lots of flavor, but if I'm just having sort of uh, one of these like style, I, I want it to be pretty, uh, pretty smooth and mellow where, um, cause also I associate it with, I'm not doing this right now, but I like associate these with like going and eating some food. Like you get like ramen or some hot, um, yeah. Like Japanese yeah. food. Yeah, maybe uh, some like really hot like, um, oh, I'm totally drawing a blank. Where where you are like doing the grilling yourself? Oh, um, uh, yakitori. Yeah, yakitori. Um, and yeah, I want something that's not going to like fully um, clash with whatever other flavors are happening. And none of these will super do that, but um, I won't like. I want it to be like very neutral for that purpose specifically. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's like cass when you're eating Korean food. Yeah. You're eating like something that's just at steaming hot and you get like a nice cold beer that's not like competing too much with the, yeah, because uh, there's enough flavor in the food. Yeah. And really what you want is to just have that, like you're eating something hot and then you drink like the, the really cold, uh, you know, beer and, uh, and it, there's like sort of a, ah, 
like a refreshment absolutely uh quality from that so yeah it's making me miss the days when uh i drink like oh i would actually go out and drink and uh we would go to korean restaurant and get like soju and cass and actually like get drunk while eating korean food yeah um but i don't i don't do that too much anymore but those were good times yeah um you can do your drink check i'm gonna send you something real quick okay uh, i just need you to do a favor for me so if you just go to our normal chat um <laughs> i sent you a straw poll um can you just click on here and i guess if you have to uh like go go with your heart uh i can just i if your heart is in uh lpo play like then you know we might have to f- stop this podcast can I even vote? How do I vote? Um, oh, I think if you click back to poll, I just have the results up because I've been watching. Oh, it. back to poll. Yeah. Is this is this yours? Your poll? No. Uh, so this has been running on Twitter. Um, likely there are Twitter bots interfering, um, which, which sucked. Uh, especially, I think they may have been boosting uh, Pla here, but. Um, I have been wanting her to win, and it seems like she's going to lose to to Camille. But that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll vote for Pla. I like them both. Yeah, um, uh, she deserves it. Nobody's ever coddled her the way that she wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she. Uh, yeah, she definitely get, has a hard. Um, gets gets kind of a hard deal, I would say. Yeah. Um. But, you know, whatever, it's Termino Gundam, so everyone gets... (laughs) No one really has it easy, do they? Uh, It's weird the way that this poll has just made me, like, become more galvanized to being like, oh, I love Double Zeta so much. Um, Pla, one of the best characters. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I... Well, you were saying the other time that you weren't... You didn't really love Camille. Um, Yeah. And I, I... I like Camille. Um... I like how I think he's got an interesting like arc um going into double zeta. Um but anyway. Uh yeah, my drink check. Uh like you mentioned already, I'm we're both pretty tired, so I've just been pounding oolong tea. Um I've had about two and a half mug creation mugs worth of oolong yeah. tea, which I couldn't even tell you how many ounces that is. Um, and then I've got my, uh, the like amber diamond textured glass, uh, which is filled with water. Yeah. So my drink checks have gotten, uh, quite a bit less interesting, although I'll, I'll throw it in here just cause, cause I'm, um, self-conscious about being boring. I made a bit of an impulse buy at the grocery store earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was driving, so Sarah's making bao, uh, or she, she made them already, yeah. but we, I guess I, I learned that you use cake flour for that. Um, and so she ran out of cake flour and I had to go to the store and get some more. And I was driving to the store and I, I just got like a random, um, just for some reason, like IBC black cherry soda just came into my yeah. mind and I was like, mm, yeah, it's been a while since I've had that. I'm going to, I'm going to get some of those. 
Uh, and those are like a big childhood thing for me. Yeah. Uh, for maybe I'll tell us that story another time. Um, but it was just like a, it's like a childhood memory. So I went, they, they didn't have them at uh, Kroger. So I was looking around at the other, like, you know, glass bottle premium sodas. And I noticed that, uh, ale ate one. So they have other flavors other than the like classic flavor. Yeah. Um, and they had an orange cream soda. Uh, that I hadn't seen before. Huh. They've got cherry and then they've got like orange cream. Um, yeah. And I think they have like a normal cream soda too. But I'm not sure. Um, but I bought those. So uh, that's probably like a post podcast uh, drink, but I'll, I'll throw it in. I'll, I'll carry it over to the next drink check. I'll, I'll talk about it then, but um just so everyone knows that's in the cards. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be recording again in a week. So, um, I, yeah, I'm going on a, a little trip over the Easter weekend. So I'll have a very good schedule. assessment of it a week from now. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else or we want to get into the episode? Let's do it. All right. Um, so, uh, before we do it, do you want to take a quick bathroom break? Um, yeah, let's do that. All right, I'm back. Are you back? Yeah, I'm back. Sorry. Okay. My uh, headphones weren't working. Um, no worry. Um, are you good to go? Yeah, I'm good. Do you have any, uh, any notes or requests? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Right, uh, let's roll. Fool's errand thinking we could do this in less than three hours, but. Of course. Well, let's see if we can get through this. Yeah. Fairly quick. Uh, so in terms of content warnings, obviously there's more of the same, um, like the the violence and gore and stuff like that stuff persists um the the two big things uh one is just like a a significant warning for pedophilia and grooming um there's a, a one scene in particular um i will actually call it the episode was that do you remember connor um, uh it's 34 34 um and it's like right at the the end basically uh so we're we're gonna end up talking about it and things like that but uh like if people want to keep watching but then skip that scene uh you'll basically like get to a moment where uh you'll see mcgillis at home with almeria and then just like i guess skip to the next episode uh just to avoid that but we'll also talk about it in the episode um so you know, fully understand if it's like a thing that's just hard for people to deal with. And this is where they, they, you know, uh, part ways. Um, the other, uh, big thing is, uh, sort of an intensifying of some of the stuff around disability, um, and some stuff that I could, I could see people like chafing against a little bit, um, specifically just around like, uh, a uh, potential conflation of like uh, disability with like uh, loss of wholeness 
I guess. Um, and we, we ended up, uh, we're recording this after we recorded next episode. Um, and we ended up sort of talking about like both the, the really critical read and then maybe like a slightly more generous read of what's going on. Um, but it is something that I could still see people being like a little bit put off on, uh, seeing it. So, um, I know it's like one of the biggest things that I like, uh, you know, the, the grooming scene is the like gut punch I describe it as, um, of just like a, a really uncomfortable and hard to watch. Um, the, the other scene was just like, I felt like a little bit of disappointment in the moment watching it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't know if there's anything else that, that you wanted to call out Connor. Um, I think those are the, those are the big like new things. Um, yeah. And, and otherwise yeah, continuation of, of everything that, um, has been there before. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. I'm going to hit stop. <laughs>